Ron must die. No one else felt sorry for Ron? I never feel sorry for Ron. People should know this by now. Gen 2 respectfully stops making any notes whatsoever because Harry and Jenny have now kissed or are on their way to shagging. K thinks bye. Hey, Mike, mm-hmm. who's the author for this fic? P.S. I know. Um... <laughs> it's going to be a fun night. For those of you playing the Mike drinking game, that will be one shot. Wait, what has Draco's done at all that's been mean to her? He's been very respectful, I get the sense. He's been trying really hard to help the light side, too. He's abandoned his father. What has Draco done that's been so horrible so far? Boinking other people. You're not monologuing. You're not cutting in on me right now. I mean, just cheese. Carry on. You just eat your cheese. We've talked about the hands. Jackass. I'm Gen 2. Mike. And this is Death. Roll. We should say Death Roll. We have, you know, just this random, like, guy in a black robe with a big stick in the background of the this podcast. This is Death. I used to dress like that for Halloween sometimes. I thought you were going to say just casually. Just around town, get some coffee. Just uh, well, you know, there was a time and a place for that, and it's college, so. I, I was going to say, I was going to high school. Day. Like, junior year, I was going to think. No, yeah. sophomore year. Who was in goth or junior year in high school? Come on. Uh, I wasn't. Really? I can't see you being goth, Gen 2. I was a teacher's pet suck-up nerd. I was a cross between Hermione and Lavender. How do you have a cross between Hermione and Lavender? Well, because I was painfully smart, and I was the one that was always in the front row going, ooh, 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 pick me. You know, I dated the basketball star. That is like Hermione, though. My whole performance, I will offer, on behalf of the Wise and Gamut, 100 house points to whoever can get me artwork of Lavender in the Great Hall with a spoon, but with Gentoo's head. If we can do that, that would be just awesome. That would be good. I would like. That. But, yeah, but isn't it Hermione who just keeps going through the the, uh, the Quidditch stars? Yes, because yeah. Hermione is the school skank. Can I just ask a question? Does she call Lavender a bimbo or a dimbo? A dimbo, I think. What it's not bimbo? bimbo. What is a dimbo? I don't know because I remember I remember hearing that because I need to go and see the movie again. I remember hearing that and thinking, what in the hell did she just say? Can I tell you the saddest thing I've ever done? Now, I live probably about 50 miles from Melinda Leo. So Melinda Leo and I double dated. She went with her husband. We went to see Half-Blood Prince in IMAX. And I'm sitting next to her. So it's, it's Leo, who is, Leo is the funniest human being on the face of the planet. Like, Leo, me, be tight. I love this man. So we got Leo, we got Melinda, then we got me, then we got Danielle. So I'm sitting with Melinda at my left. And we're watching the movie, and we got through the cave scene. And Harry is being attacked by the little golem people. And Melinda leans over to me. Melinda's on the seatbelt. She talks just with her ordinary voice in the theater. I love that. Because everyone else tries to whisper and you can't hear and whisper, what? It, it, Melinda just knows what to do. So Melinda, I'm looking at this Ryan and I just want to call them Inferny. It just really grossed me out that they're bumping into the dead Inferny. And I look at her and my mouth is gaped open. I'm like, Melinda Leo, I'm sitting next to you in a movie theater. And everyone's like, shh. I'm like, bite me. Melinda Leo, I'm sitting next to you in a movie theater and I did not make a boat joke. <laughs> 
Come on, I made boat jokes, and nobody around me understood what the joke was. Well, then I finally made a boat joke after I'm watching it. And you've got one-armed Gambin is standing on the shore. He he waves his wand very daintily and pulls up the big anchor. So there is a boat in the bottom of the of the lake. I noticed that too. Filled with water. Now, <laughs> if it's really hard to move something filled with water. Hands the chain to Harry, the guy without his wand in his hand at the moment. Says, "Harry, am I just pulling that up for me? Take care of that, thanks, bud." Harry is basically there is the hard labor. Just yes, not what I thought you were going to say. I thought what bothered me when they pull the boat up is that because he because he's not a twerp. <laughs> <laughs> it's filled with water, and all the water like sifts out of it. But then I'm wondering how is it not filling up again when they're when they're riding it, right? You think about the water. Think about how the water goes out of the boat. The water just sort of like pours out like. The boat had holes and they were like someone pressed down on it all the water comes out of the boat mm. but yet the water never goes back into the boat magic magic mike well, you're is, much could harry not have used magic to pull the boat up he just you notice he's like one hand pulling the boat up accio boat yeah seriously accio hagrid hagrid's dead body flops up and not terrible that crossed the podcast line all right now this week we are covering chapters chapters 15 to 21 and are closing off harry potter in the time of good intentions Arguably strongest of the three installments of this effect. Starts from when Harry and Draco run to Dumbledore in the other world, and he gives them like the, like the little supplies to go on the it's run. Just, right, it's make- just it's just when Harry breaks out of Azkaban and he makes it back to Hogwarts. Here's the sack of never-ending food, and here's the all ten- the crap Hermione gets in Deathly Hallows. Dumbledore gives Harry now. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Can we talk and- about the sack? Well, yeah, it breaks Gromgold's fourth law. No, I don't care Gamps? about that. Gamps' fourth Gamps law. Gamps' <laughs> Gamps' fourth law of transfiguration. I don't care. I didn't take that class on the forum. I'm old. Yeah. Perpetual food sack. Let's think about this. Dumbledore can hand them something with food in it that will replenish itself daily so that they don't starve. And he gave them stale bread and soggy <laughs> cold cuts. Here's the yes. thing about Dumbledore, though, you have to get. Dumbledore and, is and a the prick. Chris, And the apple, which we all know is not juicy and then starchy and a little soft. Because well, Harry hasn't suffered enough yeah. already in this world. Because he could... Because if he gave them the never-ending perpetual tea thermos that's already got the sugar in it, (laughs) he couldn't give them the never-ending chafing dish with bangers and mash. The part I loved is they eventually meet up with Hermione, who is freaking rich. Well, she's freaking rich, but she also drives a crappy car. But you get the impression from Hermione that, like, everybody knows her name. Like, she visits Cheers frequently. Mm-hmm. So they finally get there, and they've got, they fell out of like an airplane on the way, and they've been shot at, and Draco had to have like an appendectomy, like a, and they run over by a horse. They get hit by a, like a horse falls. So they like they're dragging in, and like Harry's gonna like he needs like a hip replacement. So they finally get there, and they're like Hermione, do you think you can take us out to dinner? And Hermione's like, I'm not paying for you. So they eat the stale bread and water. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, oh, we're so grateful you gave us a sack full of food that will feed us forever. And, you know, it's like, you know, by day three, you know how it is when, well, maybe you don't, but you know how it is when the only thing you have to eat in your house is peanut butter? And baking soda. Yeah. Ramen noodles. Yeah. Yeah, ramen noodles. 
you're too yeah. lazy and or too poor to go get anything to eat. And by day three, even though it's a perfectly acceptable food to keep your body nourished and running, the last thing you want to eat is a freaking peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. yeah. The, the last thing you want is a soggy sandwich with whatever bread the house elves moved into that sack. <laughs> there's, there's only one thing you need. And if you can find this thing, it will literally turn your world upside down. And your bad luck will turn into good luck. If only you can find this one thing. You may have butchmen by the score whom the audience adore. You may even have some animals from zoos. Though you poles and crouch instead, you may have unleavened bread. But I tell you, you are dead if you don't have any Jews. <laughs> they did. They found it. <laughs> I felt like I was watching Spam a lot. Like, it's like... They found a Jew hold and on, they had some really on. good food. They found lots of Jews, actually. Hold on, we just lost the Jew. Mike? And I won't even pretend to say the names of some of those foods because I'll just butcher them. Right. And Jen, we don't need to worry about them because they're in italics. Therefore, Mike hasn't read them. Mike, you're the group Jew, is that correct? I am a Jew. Right. I, I can even sing the four questions for you. Okay, here's my question for you. What were your thoughts on basically any chapter with Ruth in it? Well, when she did the four questions, I started singing them in Hebrew. So, because <laughs> that was great in my head. They taught them to us in a song when I was like seven years old. And ever since then, and it's odd too. Like some pe some people like look at me odd when I do it because even because the, the song repeats some of the questions just for like the rhythm and beat. Would so, you, for example, like to sing to us in Hebrew now, just to give us a demonstration of what it is that you're speaking of. Are you asking Mike to sing? I believe. Yeah, I don't know. No, I, I don't know, I I don't really know if you like want. To, well, I'd I, really like to hear the Kaddish or whatever it's called. Yeah, I mean, we're on I was four I can't sing the Kaddish. I got the the Kaddish, not the Kaddish. <laughs> the Kaddish. Hey, I just I just said it. I just said it while you were cut off and coming back. I don't know how to say those Yiddish, Jewish, Hebrewish things. We need Julia. Where is Julia? Where's the house Jew? Resident Jew is not online. Okay, we're going to keep an eye out for the resident Jew. As soon as we get her, we're going to bring her in. But no, it is. It, okay, we've lost the Jew again. At this point, we lost more than the Jew. Puffer exploded. Goats rained down upon the land. And by the time Ryan remembered to hit what he lovingly refers to as the damn record button, Puffer had already left for Temple. So here now, Jewish Idol with Julia and Ellie. What would you like me to sing? Haddish. The reason is, Julia, is because yeah. Ruth, the character in this, while Harry's hanging out with her for a few days, she teaches it to him. Oh, Harry gosh. learns how to sing it, and then he turns into this wonderful singer of the song. I'm just very curious, like, why they pick that? It seems like such a strange thing. I mean, wouldn't a Don Alam be much more... Harry just lost everybody. It's a very formal thing. His mother dies, his sister dies, his two brothers die, his girlfriend dies. And then he goes and he finds Ruth. And mm -hmm. she's in temple, and her father is a rabbi. And okay. she's at temple, and she's singing it at temple. And he's so moved because he's just lost everyone that died. And he's so moved, and her voice is so beautiful. And that... Kalisha. Yeah, Kalisha, that's a problem. Julie, Julie and I are being very rude, but it's really very funny. <laughs> Kalisha. He's so moved that, you know, he asks Ruth to teach it to him. I so mean, then she teaches it to him, and then all of a sudden, Harry can sing <laughs> well in Jewish or Aramaic or you can Hebrew tell we're just or... so knowledgeable. You can sing well in Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense only if you said that in a very thick Yiddish accent. You can sing well in Jewish. 
<laughs> oh, such a so nice much... boy. Harry Potter. <laughs> this you make a Jewish name? Oh, is this the profession? The chosen one? Couldn't he be a lawyer like other? <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of the chosen ones. <laughs> she find himself he's a girl. The he's one of the chosen ones. Ha ha ha. That's funny. Did someone just twerk? Can you picture My... if Harry had fallen for Ruth and they couldn't go anywhere because he's a Roman Catholic? Harry should find himself a nice Jewish girl and settle down. <laughs> Well, anyway, that's that's what that's why that's why that song, okay, or that chant, or whatever it is. You don't have to do it because it's just that's what we were talking about when we were like, "Hey, we need singing." I offered to sing questions because I learned that as a song. You offered to sing what? Well, I was telling them when I when I was taught the four questions, they actually taught it to me in my Hebrew school in like a song form. So because I was like, which tune do you know? You know, like this is the one I know. This is the one I taught me in Hebrew school. They, yeah, I was like five in Hebrew school, and they're like, "Let's teach you the four questions." And they taught us this little. They taught it to us in like a song format. Right. Yeah. That's that's what they taught it to us too. Yeah, me too. I, I, I'm I'm almost singing along. Would you care to to sing it together? <laughs> well, it's gonna be pretty hard with the Skype lag. Oh, it'll be fine. I've never had a problem with this before. Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. You know, I actually don't know all of the words. If you give me a second to go and grab a sitter, I can try to find out. Yeah, um, yeah I think I only know like the first. I, I have it on the Chabad website. Chabad, oh, the answer to all things Jewish. It, it really is. I love, like I, I love Chabad.org. <laughs> I love Chabad.org. Which niggin do you use? Um, I've never actually, thank God, had to say it. Guys, just a no. little background on this. This is like a really, really formal prayer that most Jews don't say unless they have to. This is what you say when you lose your parents or right. something. Yeah, I've never. Well, that's applicable for Harry in this, but it's random that Ruth is just singing it. Like, is it absolutely Yeah, it's not something you'd randomly sing unless she lost her mother. That's a minor plot line. Where on Chabad, hold on, where on Chabad.org would I find the Actually, words? here, let me give it to you, uh, jufact.org. How good's your Aramaic? I did four years of Talmud, but mine still sucks. <laughs> I took three years I of have Spanish, done, if that's helpful. I have done no Talmud at all, so I can't speak Aramaic at all. Because I've been practicing, and I think I have it. My 12-year-old crush was a Balkore, and he used to practice in front of me. <laughs> Sweet. I know. I wrote him a letter saying if he could just wait six more years, he could read a Shaddach with me. Aww. He married another girl. That's always the way. By the way, Ellie, I would like to congratulate you, because you are officially the only other from Jew I have ever met in this fandom. Mike is standing right there. I would just like to point yeah, out. It's not f- Mike's not from. Oh, I thought you said fun. Oh, no, I'm like that is harsh. To Mike. <laughs> yeah, Mike's no fun. Mike's boring. I went to Yeshiva Flatbush, ran the hell. Really? You know. Where do you live now? Manhattan Beach. Whoa, cool. I live in Connecticut. I'm pretty close to you. Oh my I gosh! Just, I think what? we just forged a friendship. Look at this. Death will uh, bringing uh, people together. I've met yeah, a lot of in- Jews, and there was a huge Harry Potter thing at my yeshiva. We did have a nagini. <laughs> That's funny. Really? You've heard that one, right? No, I haven't actually. Ava Nagini, Ava Nagini, Ava Nagini, she's a giant snake. Ava <laughs> Nagini, Ava Nagini, Ava Nagini, favorite food man state. Voldemort promised me Jeepers, that's really sweet, but everyone escaped defeat. Poor snake got applesauce. Dark lords with evil powers rarely give snake lunch hours. Mad with hunger, nag ate to theaters and boss. Oh no, oh no, oh no. No, I don't know the rest, but I remember at uh, Rikudim we used to perform that, and we used, we always wanted to lift Tom Riddle up on a chair. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, this is hard. 
Yiskadal, Vyskadashimeraba, Yamed, Vare Krusevium you can actually pick out the exact moment where Julia's coffee kicked in. It's very interesting. Mike, your turn. Mike, would you like to sing for the group? Because this just reinforced how how weak my Hebrew is these days. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to give you the link to the interactive Kaddish trainer. Do we have it for beginners? Can we do that? Do we have it for beginners? There you go. I don't think I'm familiar enough with the Kaddish to sing it either. I mean, I've never really said it myself. You need the four questions. Four questions. Oh, yeah, let's get the four questions. Okay, okay, you go, Mike. This this is Jewish Idol, remember? So it's your turn. You know what? I, I, I've never really sung. I'm not much of a singer. You go, dog. Here you go, Mike. Here you go, Mike. Here's links for you. There you go. There you go. Oh, my God. I think I remember the first couple by Poor Brian. Awesome. There's yeah, three more questions. I gave you the first question. I'm sorry. I now have this horrible urge to clean my house. <laughs> God, resist. Resist at once. Suitably impressed, Michael. Mike, I am very impressed by your singing. Considering I got out of this without singing anything in Hebrew, I'm thinking this has just been it's a job. Actually, you're next. It's a Brian, I would like you to sing something in Hebrew. Well, yes. how about, well we have Julia, to is it a Jewish minhug that when we grace them with our culture, they should do the same and grace us with our culture? Absolutely. Was that in the fic? Because I didn't read that in the fic. Did anyone read that in the fic? I didn't read that. No, it's... And you're taking... It's, it's, I will say I have Two real Jews real have just told problem. you that you need to sing in Hebrew. I can't even speak in Hebrew. We had to Is that our <laughs> what, should we, what should we have him sing? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Layout Anu Oakland Shamezu Matza Shamezu Matza Kala Yaila Easy Kalaya Hazi Kuhu Matza From now on, whenever I eat, I will think of like Oakland. I think you broke Julia. I think I broke yeah. the juice. <laughs> Very well, might have. I would like to thank both Ellie and I Julia just... for taking part in Jewish Idol with us. No it's been very helpful, and we hope we have spawned a lifelong friendship. Anytime you guys want to invite me. I will say, after this conversation, I really have an urge to like go to shul this weekend. Yeah, shoot Excellent. Yeah. Feel and if you don't wear a talus, you'll get all the grandmothers asking if you're married. <laughs> there but we go. Really, you could get like free dinners for a month if you tell them you're wealthy. Don't forget to wear your beanie. Uh, don't forget to wear your hat. Get to the conversation on a low note. We were doing so well. And on to chapter 18. On to chapter 18. All right, Julia and Ellie, thank you so much. And please friend each other on Skype and let us know how it works. Can I just say one thing before I leave? What's that? I've never heard those words more in my life. You just said them. I know that. (laughs) Julia, Ellie, Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Mazel tov. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Okay, mazel tov. I don't think that's ever happened before on Polyrific Weekly. That's nice. I like that. It's like a little cultural exchange. <laughs> I feel like I need a Xanax. <laughs> oh, good God. We have just so much to talk about in these chapters. I'm pulling out my notes right now because I try and be the person who doesn't take notes because my thought process is I just need to remember what really touched me during the reading. If I don't remember it, obviously wasn't important. Then I hit these chapters and that just didn't work out too well for me. You take such good notes though, Ryan. I do. I, it, it, it's just wonderful. You missed my note comment. What was that? I think you were gone. Oh yeah, this was great. Okay, I, I, I was taking notes, taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And, you know, I read the whole trilogy because we've talked about it, blah, blah, blah. I get to chapter 18, I'm taking my notes, and I'm skimming through the story, trying to think of things that are important. Gen 2, respect, and I begin typing. And my fingers type as fast as my brain thinks, pretty much. So I'm just, at which point, Gen 2 starts to type in all caps. Gen 2 respectfully stops making any notes whatsoever because Harry and Jenny have now kissed and are on their way to shagging. Okay, thanks, bye. Thanks, bye. Well, my favorite thing is when Harry gets back to his old life and he's sitting in the Quidditch changing room and he looks over and Jimmy's on the same couch next to him and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I was totally doing her there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the thing with, like, in the beginning when we started, you know, covering the story, Barb's writing style was different because we had just come off uh, Year of Darkness, which was very different. And it takes you a while to, to, to gel with it to see if you're going to accept the writing style. So you always wonder, you know, is the author just, you know, someone who just you know, thinks about the fandom differently, or do they just not properly, you know, they, you know, their true intentions. You have difficulty, you know, in the very beginning connecting with the author. And then Barb wrote the scene where Hermione took Draco and Harry to get Voldemort's wand, and they need to polyjuice themselves to get out of there. And she polyjuices <laughs> Draco, or Draco is polyjuiced into an old woman with boobs down to his waist. <laughs> 
I think I put something in my notes about that. Because I have to tell you, Danielle's grandmother um, took her mother, so Danielle's great-grandmother, when she was still alive, to the doctors one day. And it's Danielle's grandmother and, and her great-grandmother in the room, and the great-grandmother's up on the table. And Danielle's grandmother looks over at her mother and says, My, you're really starting to gain weight. You've got a huge stomach. She lifts up the bottom of her shirt, like up to her navel, and all you can see are two big nipples. <laughs> so that's all I could picture in this scene. So I'm, and then Hermione's like, come on, Nana. <laughs> and the only line is Hermione, because Harry took the polyjuice potion to, to, to have blonde hair. Hermione, her blonde friend, and her grouchy grandmother left for the car. <laughs> I just thought that was very creative. Oh, well, I had, it was before that happened, but there was one that I had saved off. <laughs> <laughs> they had just gotten to Hermione's and, you know, she was painting the house, which I love this Hermione. I wish that this Hermione was Hermione all the time because this Hermione has got sass. I feel like on some level, Barb went for shock and awe first and backtracked on that. Like, for example, the first time you see Hermione, she's got 27 earrings in each ear and she's got tattoos and she's got fluorescent hair. Yeah, she backed off a little bit, but... Well, it's hysterical at the end where Harry's looking at her in the bedroom like, Hermione? Where are your tattoos? They were just paint-ons. I wouldn't get tattoos. I could get a disease. That's all. And she's <laughs> a disease. Well, the one thing I love about this story is during psychic service, Harry Hermione didn't aggravate me. In fact, I actually liked it. And the thing is, is that Hermione was written to be much less of an annoying character. And unfortunately, I just personally get annoyed by Hermione in canon. So she was written as a less annoying character. Harry oh, I hated her. her. I hated I, her in this. No, I, I don't agree. I, I thought she... I really enjoyed the character in Psychic Serpent. I thought she was good for Harry, because even if it's not a lifelong relationship, sometimes you need certain things at certain points in your life, and Hermione was just what Harry needed at that time. So I actually I enjoyed just, the I, insight. I just think it's my complete aversion to Harmony. I, I can't... I, I'll give you that. But anyway, I really enjoy the Psychic Serpent. As we get into this one, obviously, Barb is incorporating the problems in their relationship into the storyline, which is fine. And then before you can even get anywhere in the relationship here, you're, you're, you're thrust into the alternate universe. So then when Ginny comes along, that feels so right as a relationship. And you, I really got drawn into Harry and alternate Ginny's relationship. And then, you know, she dies and Harry starts flirting with Ruth. And even though that goes nowhere, he's at least, you know, alive. He at least can see hope in the future. And when he meets up with Hermione again, they're back in the bedroom and she's asking him about their relationship in the other world and everything. And you kind of get this, like, I kind of reverted because when when he's saying I need to leave Hermione, if I make it back, the first thing I'm doing is leaving her and getting Jenny and I'll do whatever. And I'm like, yeah, Harry, yeah. And then he meets up with Hermione again and she's painting and, you know, they stay over and they're about to leave. And I'm like, oh, this could work. I like this. Well, I am such a freaking flip flopper is my point there. Well, anyway. What I was going to say before you... I, I, get, I get no response. Okay, go ahead. Wait, can you wait to a Star Trek episode before we get to Jen? All right. Can I link it to no. a Star Trek episode? No, I can do this. Hold on. Give me a second. Can I no. link it to a Star Trek I'm episode? sorry, Jen. No, Tasha Yar comes serious. back in yesterday's Enterprise and has a relationship with someone even though she's dead. There you go. All right. Jen, two, take it. Go. Well, what I was going to say is that Draco is bitching and then Harry says, oh, you're planning to save the world, but you can't stay awake past the bedtime for an eight-year-old. <laughs> that was funny. And Draco's like, sawed off. <laughs> I broke my hip. Aww. Oh, Draco gets abused through these chapters. He, he starts off. off, he has to I'm, have his head shaved. I'm on my period. <laughs> they shave him bald as a cue ball. <laughs> yep. 
They do. Many has his sagging boobs and, and the abuse. Is Draco. it fun to just do this to Draco because he's so vain about his appearance? I think so. Yeah. Oh, him being vain is that even a canon thing, or is that just a? Fa- I always thought it was it's a, a fandom thing. thing. It's a fandom yeah. thing. Well, you know what the thing is that just cracked me up. I understand that no one's looking for Draco really, but it's like they shave his head and they're all standing around looking at him, Dumbledore and Harry, and they're like, no one will ever recognize him. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like he's so, so freaking different without the hair. I just thought that was creative. Mike wanted to talk about this earlier, and let's jump back to it because we cut him off, and I'm going to be nice because I was just not nice, and I cut him off, and I was rude. Okay. Let's talk about Snape. And yeah. Snape Snape is your daddy. Let's talk about him. <laughs> Good old Snape. Because um, you know what? In this fic, it worked. It works in both timelines. I it think does. Because and, well, he hasn't and I, can't, I can't spoil too much for Triangle Prophecy, although I want to right now, but I can't. But it works in this trilogy. Because and I will of... also admit to Mike that I have read In Blood Only. <gasps> oh, you knew my night, Jen. What did you think? It is oh, not going to be my favorite pick. Did you like it at least a little bit? I will reserve my thoughts on In Blood Only for the podcasts of In Blood Only. <sighs> that was just torturing me. I out. would like us to just back up the tape a little bit to the noise that Mike made when Jen <laughs> said that she had read In Blood Only, his favorite pick ever. <gasps> and for you Boston Legal fans out there, what Jen Sue did was she walked up to William Shatner, put her ear directly up to his earlobe and very seductively whispered, in his ear. Well, I know what. J2 is driving over me tonight. I feel like I need to reinforce myself. I'm what? You're driving over my monologues. <laughs> Good for you, Jen, too. Someone had to eventually. I just never thought it would be you. As, uh, it's just because I'm tired tonight, right? Am I official head of the podcast? I give Jen 2 permission. There you go. Okay. <laughs> it works in this fic. Snape and Harry work in this fic. Even in the the like in this timeline, it's fine because in the alternate universe, you know anything can happen. Snape was never upset. even in even in the alternate universe. I wanted to go into the alternate universe. The minute you find out that it's not serious and it's Snape. If you're not a Snape is your daddy fan, the first thing you want to do is go. Oh Jesus. It's another Snape is your daddy fic, which is what I, which is just what I thought. However, nice however, it takes about 14 sentences into the next chapter before you're like, I'm sold. Yeah. It works. And it works on a lot of different levels, not only because, you know, she sells it by, you know, Snape and Lily had a relationship and, you know, then there's the twins and... You know, it works, but for some reason, Snape and Harry in the alternate universe, they didn't have a, I don't want to say she didn't paint it as some kind of typical redheaded stepchild evil stepfather relationship, which she could have done that. But she didn't paint it as your dad died and so now I'm going to take over and be your real dad. She didn't paint it as that. She respectfully painted Snape as a father figure who stepped in and became Harry's father while while still respecting that James was was his father, respecting James's place in Harry's life. And they had a good relationship and it was important to Harry that let's just say that she did it very, very well. It was a touchy kind of subject in real life, and she did it very well. It, it didn't even need to be done as well as it did, I don't think. And let me just explain that. You have a case where Harry's won when his dad dies, and you know, mommy starts dating you know, someone new within a couple of years. So probably by the time Harry's four, 
you know, five years old, whatever the age range is. He's never known his dad. He can't remember his dad. All he knows as a father figure is Snape. He doesn't have that type of love for James that he, you know, may have as a 15 year old recognizing who James was and what James did for him. So in the very beginning, you know, Snape is dad for all intents and purposes. Even so, Snape goes out of his way to acknowledge who James is and, and what James is. So I think it's even that much more better. I think that's why I liked it so much. But then when he comes back, when when Harry tells him about it, you know, he doesn't tell him about it immediately, but he does go finally and tell him. Snape doesn't go off the hook. You know, you, you want to think that he's going to have some strange, you know, immediate, you know, he's going to fly off the hook and, you know, say something nasty. He doesn't. It's just, here's some fire whiskey, have a drink. Thank you. He actually keeps the fire whiskey to himself, I think. I think he needs the Oh, no, it's later on. It's something else. I'm spoiling something else. But he has a drink, and he's like, I think he even says thank you for telling me, or... You expected him to not handle the situation well? I expected him to handle the the situation with a little more volatility. He easily could have. He could have walked in there and said, let me get this straight. I could have married the girl of my dreams, had two children of my own, and been the father of of four kids, and had the perfect life, and and had laugh lines, if not for the fact that you decided to change the timeline back and take that away from me. So he could have been very upset with Harry for doing that, because at that point, he doesn't know why Harry changed the timelines back, and it's not until he inquires that he finds out that everyone died you know in the very beginning it's just harry's like oh by the way here i came here with this pot of memories to show you what you could have had in life <laughs> but of course you're miserable you've been tortured and you have like six fingers left here you go i mean, could have also could have also reacted almost in an op like like i would think react sort of like angry at harry that somehow this student who i'm kind of like a semi as much as a student can be my nemesis you know we don't get along and and how how dare you insert yourself into my life this way, which is irrational, but I could see Snape having that sort of reaction. They've well, sort of had a a better relationship. Through. They've had a better relationship in this but trilogy. They, they've had a better relationship than they've had in canon and, you know, and in a lot of fanfics that we've read. But, you know, also what's insinuated is Harry's taken the pensive. He's sat it down. He's shown Snape what's gone on in his head and what he's remembering. And it's not only that he's showing him what's happened. He's also in his way saying, you were my father. And that's what I remember. And so, you know, Snape is, he has to, I mean, if he's smart, and he is, we all know that he is. Snape knows now that when Harry needs something, he's not going to be thinking anymore that he needs to go to Dumbledore or that he wants serious or, or that he needs, you know, to go to one place or the other. He knows that when Harry is hurting or Harry is feeling insecure, that the first person that he's going to immediately want to turn to is him and he knows that their relationship in this timeline is not such that that's really that possible. It's weird. Like, when we did A Year Like None Other, the issue I had with it was, I always joked about Ward Cleaver Snape, and it was that Snape all of a sudden realized, good God, Harry's been beaten all this time, and he really isn't an elitist snob, and I've been so wrong about him. And I had difficulty believing that 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 characterization would work. In this story, if you can fault Barb for anything, it's that in Psychic Serpent, Snape is gradually less snarky, less closed-minded, less arrogant, and he is able to have a grudge and respect 
respect for Harry, and that leads to, in this story, his ability to embrace Harry even more because that foundation's been laid. So you can argue maybe that foundation never should have been laid in the first place. But I like her Snape a lot, especially in the last one, because he just, he's, he's, he's Snape, but he also, there's just that little window where you can reach him and where Harry can walk into his office and sit in the chair and, and, and get some support rather than just one dimensionally being screamed at and get the hell out of my office and all that stuff. But and, thing- st- and still, and Snape is still though, Snape still treats him partially the same way he always did. He yeah. doesn't give him any, he doesn't give him any outs. He doesn't give him any preferential treatment. What Harry's done doesn't really, change the way Snape treats him as a whole. And, and think of Canon too. He looks at Harry and sees Lily's eyes, and he looks at every. He sees Harry as the representation of everything that was taken from him. In this fic, Harry literally walks up and gives him DNA evidence. Here is a photocopy of everything that's been taken from you. But the thing about Harry, the thing that I love about the alternate universe and why the story is so good is that it shows what characters are capable of. So Harry comes back to, from the alternate universe, from his other life, and. And the story is so good at this point because he has learned so much about everybody and he has seen, you know, the, the, the road not traveled. He, he, he has learned so much from that experience that he is an infinitely more interesting character to read. But look what he's learned about Snape. If one decision was made differently 15 years ago, if one little thing changed 15 years ago, Snape easily could have been the world's best dad. And what Snape is capable of is look how much Snape in canon, in the fandom, wherever, look how much he desired that happy life with Lily. How how pissed he is that everything that's taken away from him. He walks into a cave and finds out that his stepson has murdered his wife. You know, I know it's not murdered, but bad word. You know, he has found out that, that, his, that his wife has been killed by his stepson. And because his stepson will not obey the Dark Lord... Over the next few weeks, his stepdaughter and his two sons are taken from him, and he has no one left but Harry. His first instinct is to do whatever he can to save Harry's life. And he'll be, he waits for Harry every day at the armory, and he's ready to get Harry to France, and he will wait for Harry every day in France. And depending on what you believe about, you know, causality loops, maybe he's still waiting in France for Harry to show up. Maybe he'll do it for the rest of his life if that universe is still there. So that's what Snape is capable of if one little decision went the other way. So now he gets back and this, you know, pissed off old man, you know, with premature gray hairs and four missing fingers in the potion lab has the potential to still be that guy. And Harry has the potential to be the son that Snape never had. So it actually works, I think, better than a lot of other adoption fix because it actually shows here's how it could have worked differently now here you are the regular characters what do you do with that information so i just i just think it's really fascinating and well to flip it on its head one thing which i think is interesting you see a little bit you see a lot of it in the old world and you see some of it in this world too or not this world but whatever whatever world you want both worlds is uh, Harry's insecurity when you come to Snape. Um, Because I'm thinking of the part we did last, it was one of the chapters for last week where we first see it, where 
uh, one of his, the twins, I forget which one because they're both identical to me, uh, makes the, the sick one, I should say, makes the comment about, um, well, you know, Snape doesn't, you know, Snape's overcompensating for you because, like, you know, he, like, he basically insinuates that Harry's not really Snape's son. And then we also see in, the, in these chapters the pensive memory, which I thought was interesting, where we go back to when Harry's like five or six and we see him, um, you know, like all worried that twins will mean that Snape won't be his father anymore and Snape has to console him. And I think my sense is that, that the Harry from the other world, like his big fear, like if this hair, like if the half of Harry is from the, 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 the main world, his fear is Dementors, the other Harry, like his greatest fear would be something like, you know, like Snape turning on him or Snape not loving him as much as he loves Snape. Right. And, and I am curious, um, not having read ahead, like, like I do think that the way Barb is hitting this story, that there's going to be a good relationship at the end between Snape and Harry. But I can't help wondering if there's going to be some bumps on the road where if Snape, this Snape, who doesn't have the memories Harry has, like Harry has all these memories and this sort of like built-in love for Snape. Snape's kind of got to relearn it in this world. And I wonder if Snape can't make sort of that jump right away, um, what that's going to do to Harry. The, the one thing I just want to comment on that you just said, too, is the relationship with Harry and Snape. When you look at the other world, granted, Lily is putting on a great show during most of it because she wants Harry to be seen as the village idiot, so Voldemort won't want anything to do with him. But, you know, especially when Harry learned in the last of the chapters that their marriage had broken down and that Lily was off having, you know, a tryst with Sirius Black – even before that, Harry is Severus Snape's son, and he, when he needs something, he goes to Snape. Snape is the dominant parent for Harry, even though it's not biological. There, there is no question that Snape is is the parent he leans on the most, because you know, in Harry Potter, you know, it's the love of Lily, Lily's sacrifice. Everything is defaults to Lily. James, unfortunately, is the one that Harry looks like and the one that died first. That's his claim to fame everything is is about harry's mom so i just think it's fascinating here that harry gets his mom back and still the person he needs the most is the person that's been there the entire time you know who just is having to hate him for the last six years see i couldn't disagree yeah. with more actually in that i always had the impression that it was all about harry's father and it's harry's mother who gets overlooked especially in the point of the canon when this story is written in the first five books like you know what we, about Harry's father? We have his invisibility cloak. We have the Marauder's map. We know all about his friends and, you know, like uh, Sirius and Pete. What do we really know about Lily other than she had green eyes by book five in canon? She loved Harry. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she, she loved Harry. Yeah. She was killed and she had green eyes. So, and, and it's always all, and, and if you look at what all the talk is, who everyone talks about to Harry, it's almost always his father. It's not his mother in the first books. It's always, oh, you know, James Potter, always, always up to mischief with these three, you know, James this, you know, James's friend betrayed, you know, James, James, James. And I actually think that it's interesting in Canada that you almost have this blank spot where Lily is in terms of what people tell Harry. Do you disagree with me? No, now that you bring it up, it, yeah. I think that it's the sacrifice of Lily. Like, Harry's parents aren't people. Harry's a character and his parents represent things about the character. And what Harry's parents represent are the love that they had for him, that they would sacrifice themselves so that he could go on. And a lot of the exposition and the backstory comes from James. But what you gather here James friends. You get the friends, but you don't get James. They're just attached to him. They easily could have been Lily's friends. And you get the invisibility cloak that was James, but could have been Lily's. You know what I mean? So it's like, 
it's almost interchangeable at that point. And that's not just being James's character, but the, the predominant thing that Harry's parents left him was their sacrifice. And that came through, you know, the form of Lily, who apparently had quite the thing going with Remus Lupin, as we learned from these no, characters. No, which just gave me a, Well, no, it is too. I look at the actor who plays Remus Lupin in the movies, and he does <laughs> not exactly scream <laughs> sex god to me. So I have difficulty picturing him shagging anything that moves, you know, the day before. I'm picturing uh, that. Like, could you imagine if you're getting really close to, to the full moon and you get in like an elevator with Lupin and you've got to go all the way up to the 56th floor? Oh, you know, you know what I love? You know what I love? Do you know what I loved is when <laughs> Remus is talking to Ron about, you know, the 24 hours prior and he's like, well, you don't want to shag everything that moves and it's not really just the girls. <laughs> I, I can see and, Harry like eating away from Ron. <laughs> well, it would be just like the scene in Half Blood Prince. Yeah. And and how shocked Ron is when he when it clicks in his brain, you know, that, oh, my God, you mean that I might want to do Harry? <laughs> you know, you can almost you can almost visually see the gulp you know like well then there's the thing where remus comes out of the proverbial closet to ron and ron just looks over at him and you can just picture the thought bubble dude i'm having a really rough week can we talk about me for a minute <laughs> do me a That's solid a point, come right? on he's like, like going out about his sex life to ron. <laughs> you know i re- i really did prefer the men i really did prefer the men and maybe it was serious in the in the doggy thing i'm not sure <laughs> well, my favorite line from that scene, I thought it was a really well done scene where you have, like, Sirius has just been pardoned and, like, they're knighting him and he's bolting for the, for the castle. And he dives into the room and, and, and Harry's like, Sirius, you're free. And picture Dobby from Chamber of Secrets, you're free. And then Snape slams the door shut and you hear the big lock go down and they lock First up. knight is a free man. He's going to spend locked up with two werewolves. Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Disneyland was obviously not in his plans. Toby is free. Click. This is really bad. I shouldn't even tell this story. Tell it. Tell it. Oh, you're you're a bunch of guys. You don't care. No. You might have even seen it. I don't think it was local. It was probably national news, but it's obscure news anyway. Recently, I think within the last week or so, my husband's like, "Did you see the story about the guy in the horse?" <laughs> I'm like, the guy in the horse? He's like, yeah, there was this guy somewhere, and and, uh, apparently he got um, picked up, and he went back to jail for violating his parole. And I said, yeah, well, okay, that's important. How? And he's like, well, he violated his parole doing the same thing that he got in trouble for the first time. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, the first thing that he got in trouble for was apparently he was illegally screwing some woman's horse. And then apparently he was so enamored with the horse that um, he couldn't stay away from it. And then, you know, the woman started noticing that there were hay bales out of place and chairs in certain places that they weren't supposed to be and that the horse was moved and, you know, and then that just kind of made me think about when it comes to to those sorts of things, I always go, well, my problem with it isn't the fact that it's an animal. My problem is that you have no way of knowing whether it's consensual on the animal's part. <laughs> that just made the opening credits. That's Thank the you, buddy. That you're confused with. <laughs> but what I was thinking about in terms of all that, where my brain was going, I'm just thinking about Mooney and Prongs. I have no particular moral objection. If we're talking anime, I mean, it's not my kind of thing. Anime? What's the plural for them? Anime guy. Anime, anime guy. You know, if we're talking anime, 
MMA guy and they're all adults consenting, I have no real moral objection to it. My moral objection in the story Jen gave is that I wonder how much this is animal abuse versus like, like if I like if I was convinced that the animal was like really into it and having fun, uh-huh. then and I'd be like, hey, don't do it where I can see it and go have a good time. Uh-huh. But my problem, I honestly, I wonder. <laughs> you were convinced the animal was having fun. So you you don't necessarily have an issue with a man screwing a penguin as long as the penguin has reached the age of majority. No, and his consent. You missed the most important part. And the penguin reaches orgasm. <laughs> Let's get the Jews back in here. That's, that was like better like, than like this. Oh is, my god. In general, you can have, uh, like, I don't care about, um, you know, monogamy, still- polygamy, the one with the women, the most, the, the women with multiple husbands. It's, okay, it's all fine. Why is the woman who has to have multiple here. husbands? Nobody has changed the subject. It, it, it's all good as long as they're all consenting adults. Gay, straight, blah, 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 land. You know, whatever floats your boat. We'll never think about penguin sex to but you have to but see here's my problem with the penguin even if the penguins you know <laughs> physically in the act of sex how do you know it's consensual well perhaps it's the noise it's making perhaps <laughs> there's one noise which is clearly but no, no, no. orgasmic that's the other like, noise is clearly just because the penguin yes. for instance ha- you know reaches some sort of sexual climax isn't telling me that it's really consenting or really what the penguin oh. wants I see where you're going. Oh, I see. So you're taking issue with Gen 2's orgasm threshold. Right. So I'm, I'm saying, like, even if the animal, the, the penguins have reaching, you know, some sort of sexual climax here. You just I totally still... took a really good joke and just blew the hell it. out of it. I want to see how far he takes it. <laughs> I think Mike's done. Now, I just have a question, Mike, before we get back to the, to, um, the Psychic Conservant trilogy. You realize that the name of, somewhere in the name of this episode, it has to say something about the penguins sexual climate. I'll try and squeeze that in there. Tim and Wayne will go nuts. Mike has no philosophical objections to bestiality. But well, I have question, a practical Mike, Mike, Here's my question. Let me, let me just finish my thought that you can ask a question. Oh, please, I, continue. My practical objection, though, is because regardless of that, you can't convince me the animal is consenting. And if there is no consent, then I have a moral objection to it. And as a result, for that reason, I have a moral objection to bestiality and penguin sex, not because of the, <laughs> of the fact that it's an animal, but because of the fact that there's no way to prove consent and non-abuse. <laughs> now, what fires you up more? The thought of... <laughs> I just need to collect myself. Mike has a moral objection up. to penguin sex. What fires sex. you up more? Non-consensual penguin sex or <laughs> teenagers in their abstinence-only policy? I have no problem with consensual abstinence as long as they're... It's, it's enforcing it and it's not coming from their parents. And you know what I do have a problem with, by the way? That's in this fic. What is this obsession with the age of 15? Like, I, I, I was talking to Jenna about this. She said she brought it up on an earlier podcast. Like, why is it that, you know, Remus makes this comment like, oh, well, before I was 15, I was going crazy because I couldn't have sex with anyone. And then it's I the, it's, the, it's the age of consent, but usually teenagers Ooh, don't care much about it. Exactly. Like, what's this yeah. magic age of Best 15? Best scene, though, as I said in a previous podcast, was Backward to Purpose, where Harry and Ginny are literally in the living room staring at the clock, waiting for her to turn 15. <laughs> and they get like half an hour to go. But Remus acts like he like, was like, physically impossible for him to have sex before he turned 15. And then he turns 15 and suddenly he's having sex with everyone left and right. Well, this is like a magical chest 
custody belt or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> but can I just point out too the fact that Remus starts telling the story about the fact that there was that friend that he had who helped him out, and, <laughs> and Harry's like, right there. Harry's like, I wa-, and, but no, he's like, I wonder who it was. <laughs> like it's like, uh, Harry's not going to end well for you. <laughs> yeah, so. I thought he was going to say Sirius or James for a second. <laughs> but he starts going out about like Snape. like boys. I'm like, uh oh, he's going to say Sirius or Snape or James or someone. <laughs> Harry's like, well, when I met his ghost in the Quidditch changing room, he did say to say hi to Remus. Uh, oh, good we need, we need to try and drive our way back. To the <laughs> I think it's pretty hopeless at this I, point. I think you need to know that I just changed my Facebook status. Oh, hold on. Let's check. By the way, do you think if we were... Ryan, you might know the answer to this. If you like, if we assumed Hogwarts was a real place and that there were roughly laws similar to what we had, what could you either sue the school or Moaning Myrtle for what she keeps doing to Harry? That has to be some form of like sexual harassment, right? <laughs> All you're gonna sue her, or like, could you sue the school for allowing the ghost to, like to spy on you while you're changing? Like, isn't that some form of sexual harassment? For I'm the... sure it is. I think I think you got I think you got Dumbledore. Good. <laughs> I, I think there's some sort of lawsuit going there. Have same sort of laws that we do. Well, that's why I said if. I wondered if, like, Ryan could sue them. Why am I suing them? Hold on, I'm just making a comment on Jen's. It's your Facebook thing. There you go. But yeah, I felt really sorry for Ron. Like, everything happens to him. Uh, no! Okay, thank you for firing me up. I thought we lost our steam. Ron Weasley must die. Yes. What did I just say that all week? Alright, now, I admit the fact that everyone in this fic... Now, you, you know, like, the power dating thing you can do at lunch, where there's women sitting at a long table, and all the guys sit across from them, and you meet them for two minutes, then all the guys move over one chair to the left and you meet and you power date. You know, picture a room like that and picture all the guys on one side of the table and all the women on the other side of the table. Problem we're having here is all of the guys are dating the wrong women and they all need to move one chair over to the left because Harry should be dating Ginny and Ron should be dating Hermione and Draco should be dating his left hand. And, you know, <laughs> and, and every everything is all screwed up here. Everything is all screwed up here. Now, I admit the fact that everyone is dating the wrong person. I, too, admit the fact that Harry is dating the wrong person. I admit the fact that even if you're dating the wrong person, people in this fic do tend to, you know, call it cheat, call it, you know, inappropriately act towards others, but there, there, there is a lot of, you know, unethical stuff going on here. And that's fine, and you're teenagers, and it happens. Harry's under a great deal of pressure. I get that. I'm fine with that. But Ron Weasley must die. Oh, come on. He really gets the shaft in this. No, here's the thing. with oh, no, well, no, I love him. By the end of the section. chapters, by the end of the chapters, I love the man. He's We're, we're good. We're tight. We're fine. Go, go, Ron. I will vote for you for whatever. I'm fine with him then. But... You gotta get Mike back in here. He's the poor thing is, yep. he's clawing at the Mike. door. Because he's the only one that wants to defend Ron. So it's A.U. Ron that you don't particularly no, care? No, Cannon Ron. A.U. Ron is just a jackass, and that's fine. Well, actually, no, I won't even say that. Let me just clarify. A.U. Ron, you know, behaves normally, befriends Harry, is actually pretty decent to Harry, except for the part where he, you know, leads to Harry's friend family all dying because he overreacts. And he listens to, and does whatever Dumbledore tells him to do, which is exactly what Sirius does. 
does. I think it means they're no friend of Harry and they're not loyal to Harry and they have do not in any way have Harry's interest at heart in the AU world. But which I find troubling. Well, serious for, for serious, yes, but also he ha- he's been like the honorary Godfather, but that's more of a role in the canon world. He's he's the Godfather. Whereas over there, if I will say on the subject, um, I am presently having difficulties with the father of my goddaughter. He has tried to throw me out of his and her life. I don't care. He doesn't get to overrule God. Well, there you go. Yeah. That, But what I'm saying is, in that world, I don't think, because he had Snape and because he had Lily and everything, I don't think Sirius would have been as close to him you know, as he obviously is in, in, yeah. in the well, world. Snape is the cool dad, not his actual dad. Therefore, Sirius doesn't need to be the cool uncle. Plus, he's messing around with Lily when no one's paying attention, so Sirius is quite busy. Yeah. Okay, so now we go back. So now Ron betrays Harry, which is sad. It's understandable. Ron isn't Harry's friend in that universe, and he has no reason to tell Dumbledore to go screw himself, so everything. That's understandable, and I don't care. Now we get back to the regular world. Harry, you know, is 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 in the regular world. Before he leaves, Ron sits him down and says, Look, Harry, I've thought about this. I've done polling, org charts, and I have concluded, Harry, that you have to break up with Hermione. You know, Harry, I'm doing this for you, not me. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 this is what's best for you. You need to do this for your own mental health. Here, sign here. I'll even do it for you. And it's just like, you know what? Even Harry admits Ginny is Draco Malfoy's girlfriend. Harry at least gets the fact that he's doing things which are inappropriate. If Ron said, look, Harry, I love her, you know, and I'll fight you the death for her because, you know, I, I can and, you know, make her happy in ways that you can only dream of. Like, fine. But don't sit there and say, Harry, I'm doing this for you, not for me. Please. Well, a few things in all fairness to that, Ryan. First off, yes, I agree there's probably a selfish element there, but the flip side is Ron is actually right. And the fact that he's right covers a lot of the sin in that. But that said, I do grant you it was probably inappropriate. It wasn't something he should have said. It probably even caused more problems than it did otherwise. But it doesn't make Ron a bad person in my book, and it certainly doesn't make him deserving to be turned into a werewolf, for God's sake. Well, no, yeah, that, I, that was not that. That was not like the settlement. Ron is a bad guy, so Ron must become a werewolf. That just happened. Quincy. You say you don't feel any sympathy for what he's gone through at all? Oh, no, 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 no. I I feel sympathy for him after like after the fact that you know they they break up and Harry starts to become okay with it. Like, once they're flying in on their brooms over the forest, I had a really good trio feeling again. But up until that point, Ron must be... And you know what? It doesn't matter that he's right. I understand that friends tell friends things. Like, you know, I have a good friend and I will tell her if I think, you know, I don't think the guy you're dating is right for you. I just want you to know I think that. You've got to live your own life. But I just need to, as your friend, tell you that. But, but Ron doesn't respect Harry's ability to do the right thing. And he doesn't respect Hermione's ability to do the right thing. Ron, who is clearly, clearly biased. And he's way overstepping his bounds. He's telling them, you need to break up now because he clearly has a piece in it. And then when they get back to Hogwarts, he's he's kissing Hermione's neck while she's sleeping and he's trying to kiss her and he's like, her, and, he, and he's giving these skeevy lines, Hermione, you know this is right and you blah, 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 blah. And then when Harry finally breaks up with Hermione, you know, Ron's glaring daggers at him, we never did anything we should be ashamed of. And then later yeah, on, he's like, 
Yeah. All right, I got it's like, oh, I rolled my eyes at that, but it's also the same thing that Harry's been doing to Ginny all yeah, year. Yeah, I'm going to have to play devil's advocate here. No, for, I admit that. For, but the thing for, is- nearly, for nearly two fics, Harry's been wishy-washy about his relationship. He's been banging Hermione while he's been still wishy-washy, really, about the level of commitment to her while he's been watching his other best friend literally pine away in his love for Hermione. Alright, I'll play devil's and advocate know, as well. I'll play and know, devil's advocate as well. And knowing, knowing that this other friend is a much better match for her, I think, than what he is. But selfishly, he's he's there because that's what he thinks is good for him at the moment. I'll, even though he knows that he has feelings for Jenny. I'll play devil's advocate as well. The, you know, the, the, the Harry-Hermione relationship goes fine through a psychic serpent. I think the first hint we got that there might be trouble on the horizon was when Ron refers to it as his first girlfriend. And Harry's like, what do you mean first? And Ron doesn't answer. You have Harry... Yeah, but he, there are hints. There are hints all over Psychic Serpent about right. Harry's about Harry's feelings about Jenny. Harry... Hints. <laughs> no, I just Harry, lost my Harry knows. Harry knows, and he knows enough to feel bad about it. You don't have a girlfriend. To me, I just... You don't have a... You don't have a relationship with someone like that, and then still have stuff like that going on in the back of your head. You know, you're not having sex with someone and then still thinking about how you feel about someone else. That's just not kosher. Yeah, but, well, excellent phrase, by the way, on this Art Jewish Adel podcast. When you look at the whole thing, you have Harry with Hermione through Psychic Serps, and he's with her through you know the first two chapters of Time of Good Intentions. And it's in the first two chapters of Time of Good Intentions where Ron pulls him aside and gives him the form and says, you need to fill out the divorce paperwork now. And Harry's like, what do you mean? Ron's like, don't read it, don't read it. I checked it, it's fine, sign here. You know, at that point, you can argue that Hermione is the last person in the world that Harry should be with. Or you could argue the fact that they're in a relationship and they're grown-ups and they should be able to decide whether or not they want the relationship to end. Ron doesn't need to issue them a memo. So at that point, even if you want to argue that it's a bad relationship, it's an existing relationship. And it's something that they need to look at themselves. Then, However, Before however, Harry can do anything, though, he gets whisked away to this other world where we don't even know if Hermione still exists. We don't know if the two worlds are running side by side. So all of a sudden now, Hermione's gone. They've never met. He meets Ginny. He's dating Ginny now. He has this wonderful, eye-opening relationship with Ginny. And at that point, he thinks to himself, the minute I get back, and breaking it off with Hermione. I got to admit, Ron was right. You know, and honestly, I was cheering him on then because I thought that was absolutely right because it was written so well. Then he gets back. And it's not like he gets dropped back on the platform at the beginning of the year. He gets dropped back and all of a sudden a year's gone by where he hasn't had that experience. So it's not like he, you know, he had this whole relationship with Jenny, was mourning Jenny, and now he's back. And then he just jumps back into a relationship with Hermione. That relationship was existing over a period of nine months without his ability to alter than any way. And at that time, Ron obviously cares for Hermione, but you know what? Harry's, and I'm not saying this is right, if someone told me you need to break up with Danielle, and I think it's the right thing to do, by the way, I happen to be madly in love with her, but that has absolutely no basis whatsoever in my well, saying you, this. Well, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but 
I mean, everybody makes their own choices. Everyone has free will. However, sometimes it's your friends that are able to point out some of the most painful, obvious things to you because you are standing in a forest full of trees. I would never trust the judgment of someone who didn't even have the guts to say, by the way, I recognize I'm biased, but still. And even when he does the thing to Harry in the hallway, Harry, we've never done anything that, you know, would be inappropriate. Calm the hell on. He's literally pressuring Hermione to kiss him in the um, Gryffindor common room. And Hermione at least has the good sense to, to try and resist that because she's with someone at the moment. When I was 14 years old, I was dating a girl and I've been dating her for six or seven months. And I met another girl who, to be honest, I wanted to date and I felt the old relationship wasn't working. I At 14. Still, I was 14. <laughs> and, I sti- and I still said, regardless of whether or not this new girl says yes, I'm going to break up with the old girl. And I did. And it actually didn't work out. And I was single for a long time. But you know what? It's what you do. Hermione, you can't just start making out with Ron in the common room if you're dating Harry. You have to do the right thing. And Ron really pressures her. He doesn't admit he's biased. And even I, I didn't say that he did it the mature way. I didn't say that he maybe did it the right way. I just said that... He pointed it out, and he did his job as friend. Right. Yeah. Event, yes. And you know what, though? But and he even admits he did it stupidly. If you want someone to do something, you don't order them to do it, because then they're going to want to do the other thing, because they're pissed at you. And if Harry breaks up with Hermione, then Ron won, and Ron did it the wrong way, so you don't want Ron to think that. So he stays with Hermione unnecessarily. Plus, on some level, on some level, he does try and convince himself that he and Hermione will be fine. Because it is difficult, because they've been together over a year, and he's loved her for seven years. And it is difficult when you have that thing where you start dating a friend, because you feel the love you have for the friend, and you misinterpret that as romantic interest. And you have Harry now, who just lost his entire family. He's mourning Jamie, who never existed. He's mourning Lily, who in that form never existed. He's mourning the loss of his dad, who is missing in both incarnations. And he has Hermione and he doesn't want to give her up, especially at gunpoint. And I can understand that he's in a bad place and he makes a bad decision, but I can understand why he made it. Ron was just a creep, is is the way he handled it. It's just my thought. Yeah. Well, he handled it like a 16-year-old boy. Right. And he was bit. a 16-year-old boy. I'll, no, I'll freely admit that. I just think that the way he handles it was, was creep-like. And I'd like to apologize to Mike, who has been apparently off the line for the past half an hour as I was ranting about that. I don't think he's doing anything Harry isn't doing, even in the sense that Harry's not just simply pining for Ginny, which first off is inappropriate, because I was always taught if you're in a relationship and you're not completely sure that this is what you want to do, you should be upfront with the woman, or I suppose the male if you're a woman. Uh, but that is not, Harry's not only just, you know, pining for Ginny, he's actively trying to insert himself between them. So I don't see how you can blame Ron for that and not blame Harry. I don't see any moral difference between what they did. And on top of that, poor Ron was turned into a werewolf and he's never a really hard life. And who knows if he'll even be able to salvage what he has with Hermione. Oh, God. Well, you know, the thing, too, is like I'm not forgiving Ron because he got bit by these. Like I will admit that the, one of the cool things was and can I just point out the best line in this entire story is Harry has a brilliant idea. I'm going to give, I'm going to take the keys to Hermione and I'm going to publicly hand them over to Ron and we're going to sign the papers and she'll be all his. And he brings them out (laughs) into the hallway and he's like, you know what? I don't want the fat lady to hear this because that's how gossip starts. So he moved down the hallway a little bit because it's like in Lioness, when the Lioness fights, you know, Poppy is just a terrible gossip. So he moves away from from the fat lady and and he's like, Ron, 
come here. And he, like, literally kicks Hermione's tires and hands the keys to Ron. And Hermione is upset. And Ron, Ron, who I've wanted to murder, who I've been tweeting over for days, actually looks to Harry and paraphrasing says, Harry, that was incredibly inappropriate what you just said. That was rude. And that was over the line. And at that point, I wanted to beat him over the head with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Harry's like, why? What's wrong? What's wrong? And Hermione storms off. And then Ron's like, we've never done anything, anything that we think you've seen. Yeah. You would <laughs> and then Harry's standing there and he's like, what just happened? Everything was going so well. And he's like, uh, Ron. And Ron barely turns. And Harry's like very meekly, I got you some balls. <laughs> first part of it all there was the uh well happy birthday ta-da <laughs> that was like oh my god i can't believe harry said that that's the worst way to break up ever oh yeah seriously but the cool thing was which i liked about it is obviously you know he's the next chapter harry was glad 43 people ran in the morning or else hermione and ramana <laughs> killed him the next day because i'm picturing Dumbledore in his office too, like trying to do his TPS reports, and you hear the. Da, 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 da. He looks outside, and there's 83 people running around the lake. He's like, "Do we have a track team? Where do people come from?" But- I'm, I think about that too. Every time they talk about the running, I'm thinking, "Okay, it started with one, and then it was two, and then it was three, and then it was four, and then it started exponentially compounding." You know, on some level, so all of the guys, and the next thing you know, the entire population of Hogwarts is going to be running around. Well, well, the thing, too, is it's an excuse for the guys to watch the girls jogging. So you can tell it's like Tony's following Ruth and Ron's following Hermione. It's just awful days. You say that like it's wrong. I went to an all-guys school. I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, I went to public school. It is one of the few good things about high school. (laughs) It completely sucked. (laughs) Those shorts, they make you wear those shorts, and they make them wear that t-shirt that you have to use magic marker on, write your name right in the middle of the stomach. (laughs) Yeah. And you know that the shorts, they're polyester, they're terrible, and they're scratchy. And and you have to stand there, and you you know that it's like, it's butt dar. You can feel all of the people looking at your butt. Yep. <laughs> it's like, like we never, yeah. much like Tony does to Ruth while he's humming muzzle top, muzzle top. And, and and by the time the period is over, you're so skeeved. And then you have to go in and change, you know, with a whole room full of other people. You're so skeeved because you you can feel like all the eyes of the guys that were around you, especially when you're doing like the the calisthenics and the stretches. You know, you're you're doing the whole, you know, like bend over at the waist and hang down, and you know that the guy behind you is totally looking up at your butt. You no, know, it's more skeevy oh. than that, Jen. Too what? Waking up and finding Ron Weasley licking your neck. <laughs> <laughs> one ryan and harry's standing there like should i be upset <laughs> that's how you know yeah, that be with hermione because i would like walk over and beat ron to death with an umbrella <laughs> <laughs> he'd have little puncture holes and i don't know but yeah we didn't have jim in my high school really well i'm sorry you missed that mike yeah what can you do i suppose hey remember in the last of the podcast i was saying you know what are we gonna do with you know another fix with the giant opera house in the middle of hogsmeade it's like the random sets that they put up mm-hmm. i love in this universe that if you walk deep in enough into the Forbidden Forest, you come across a 50s diner. 
Remus uh, totally made a win. <laughs> Remus is having a bad day because he just bit Ron in the neck, and he's co- can you picture them walking into the diner? He's covered in blood, it's in his teeth, it's in his beard, it's all over him. He's sobbing. Well, they don't ask any questions because they're British, and it would be very rude to ask questions. Well, I just love the thought process too. It's like Harry's log supplemental. Ron got bitten by a werewolf last night. Remus is beside himself. I'm taking them out for brunch to try and get his mind off. <laughs> So I thought that was that was really good, and you know, honestly, I thought that he, Barb did a really good job of showing how Remus is supposed to be a teacher, but he's almost you know subservient, looking up to Harry at that point because he doesn't know what to do. What an awful thing! And they set him up; they set him up so that he would buy the suit, yeah. which is the which is twenty times worse. It's unlike you know the moronic plot device in Prisoner of Azkaban, where he just forgot to take his pill, so of course <laughs> he's running around. You know. I mean, it's just this awful thing. Plus, I have to say, I really love the plot device of. Ron becoming a werewolf. And I'm going to tell you why. Sure. You know, like, in your life, sometimes, like, I do Potterfic Weekly. And Death Roll writes, you know, they shook hands. And Mike looks everywhere for cockroaches. And Gen 2 writes and edits and raises a daughter, you know. Everyone has that thing in life, that little hobby they have that keeps them busy, keeps them off the streets. For Ron, being a werewolf is that thing that he can now do. It's his new hobby. <laughs> He's really that good is at it, so though. Awful. No, and as, you know, it's, it's like lo- it, it keeps him off the streets. He can now look at his little calendar and be like, "Ooh, Tuesday night, I'm busy." Because you know what it is? It's like social networking. He gets to hang out with his buds <laughs> in a oh my God. space. This is like Ron's version of Twitter. He gets to hang out in a room with Remus and, and Sirius <laughs> and Harry and just have guy time. <laughs> You are so mean to Ron, Ryan. It's social networking. It keeps him busy three nights a week. He, yeah. You know, the way people, it's, it's, it's structure. And you know what it is? You know too? what, though, What's Mike, that? you haven't read into the next fic. And, and since, you know, essentially we're ending, you know, this fic tonight and, you know, the next podcast will be going on to Triangle Prophecy. So I'm really not spoiling much. You know, Ron's werewolfishness is is really quite a fun thing at times in this next fic. He uses it much to his advantage, and there's 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 some comedic things. Remus, I think Ron is suicidal. The door rips open. Harry, did I mention that werewolves have very good hearing? Did I mention that werewolves have very good sense of smell? There's some good moments in this. Is Ron going to be able to smell it when Harry and Ginny have sex? Oh, good point, Death Roll. I bet he does, and I bet he flips out. Well, here's the thing. Before, when he flipped out, it was just really annoying. Now he has a medical condition. It's like, sorry, werewolf, you know, lost control my bad and you get like a waiver like like now at least he ha- he's diagnosed let me ask you guys a little question i i assume uh, maybe i'm wrong but i'm guessing we all disapprove of what happens in the other world with the werewolf camps and all of that but i always do wonder like what are your thoughts on werewolves and how they should be handled because to me it's an it's an interesting very narrow it's an interesting discussion it's this very narrow line between on the one hand, prejudice against what are 98% of the time normal, good people. And on the other hand, the reality is that if you like, if you read this fic and you look at the list of the werewolf, you know, apparently this is the com- – like leaving aside the fact that Remus was set up, it's quite common for people to be bitten because the werewolves, you know, get out of control on this time. And the potion's really rare and it's new and all this stuff. So, like, what are your thoughts on how werewolves should be dealt with? The way this- I think it, I would demand it work if this were actually the real 
real world is that werewolves be allowed to live their lives, but they be ordered, you know, by the state to be imprisoned for like the three days a month. That you know, like I wouldn't leave it up to the individual werewolf. You know, be sure to take potion. Be sure that you know, check yourself into jail. You know, they should be like ordered into a prison for those three days so the state can confirm. Yeah, during those three days, they pose a clear and present danger to society at large, and you can require. I think imprisoned is a harsh word. They shouldn't be able to sign themselves out, which is why I say no. I I think yeah, you you require them to show up the day before the full moon. You check them into a secure room. They stay there for the three days, or what is it? Three days in canon. It is in this fic. Yeah, people can come visit you. I mean, mean, yeah, during the day and at night, you're kept locked up. And after the full moon, they let you go and they say, "We'll see you next month." Yeah, and they provide the wolfsbane potion. See if one person making it. Well, it's a government-run program, so I don't think they would do that. I, I see it prone to abuse because what you're basically doing is like you're labeling all the werewolves. Like you're basically having like some sort of master list where everyone who's a werewolf has to sign their name in, and you know exactly where they live. And you, you know, at random times, you're coming over and forcing them whether they want to or not to march to some sort of central detainment camp. And I, I do get that it's you don't. On the one hand, you don't want them to just be going free, but on the other hand, that seems to me so easy with this with the setup you just described for prejudice to sort of take hold and for it to go in a very bad way. You don't have to necessarily know that they have it. If you have AIDS in this country, you're free to go out and sleep with whoever you want, and a person could, like, civilly sue you. But, you know, that's something that can happen. You know, a werewolf, he can get that go and scratch you, and now all of a sudden you're a werewolf, and you have that same disease they had. But we're mandating that the werewolves stay incarcerated. So what's the difference? I regard the mandatory providing of information, like where you live and your full name and all that, akin to the sexual offender databases. Yeah. You're not allowed to live in so many yards of a school and you have to notify the government when you move, that sort of thing. But the difference with that is the sexual offender has committed a crime. Like, they of their own will did something illegal, whereas mo- almost all of these werewolves, unless like we're talking about like thinner grayback, they're just, you know, they're regular people who caught a disease, basically. They're not choosing to, you know... Whereas, well, under the influence of the full moon, these people do not have their own will. Right, but I'm explaining to you the moral difference between them and the sex offender. The sex offender, he's a criminal, basically. I don't. Think yeah, but I think that any well-meaning right. person, you know, let's use Remus as an example, knows that if they're not contained and or taken care of during those three days, that they are a danger and that they knew do something needs to be done. I think that someone that is good-hearted and well-meaning would accept that responsibility. They do. I guess to counter Ryan's point, what I would want to see done is something similar to what you said, but I don't want to see it run by the government. I want to see it run by werewolves. Like, I almost want to see more of the setup sort of, of what we have today, not what we had originally with Native Americans, where maybe you have like a subset in the ministry, like the werewolf subset, where it's run by actual werewolves for the benefit of werewolves to keep them separate during this time of the month from regular people. But who runs the place when the full moon is in effect. Well, no one. Everyone's locked up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can see some flaws with your with your business. It, they have one guy who opens the locks. Stan Shunpike stops by. <laughs> <laughs> Press the red button. <laughs> but and speaking, you know what? He would probably screw it up. He probably would. Probably. But generally speaking, you see my point where like, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to see this in the hands of people who aren't werewolves. I see that leading towards prejudice and towards 
what you see in the alternate universe with them all in werewolf camp, the concentration camps. Basically, I think the government yeah. has. I think the government has um, an obligation to prevent people from turning into bloodthirsty zombies. Well, do you use was it Jen's example? Then do you approve? Would you approve the government putting out lists of who has AIDS? Well, I didn't say that the government no, no, put no, out this. I had said I had drawn the example. Right, whoever drew the example. I mean, would you then approve of in that example the well, government? No, the, the only thing I'll draw just to take the cheap way out is in that case there is no reason why the person inflicted with disease doesn't have free will. You know, you can't imprison someone for something which they may do. So, for example, if I have you know a gun, you can't put out there you know publicly to you know the fight. People that I have a gun in the off chance I decide to shoot somebody with it. Uh, you know, if you have someone who has a disease. Well, know. actually, you, you do technically if you do it legally because you get a gun license and anybody can look up who has a gun license. That's true, but it's not like actively disseminated. It's, it's different. Whereas if you have AIDS, you, you know, the government doesn't necessarily actively warn your neighbors that you have AIDS. It doesn't put the information on our registry because the theory is you haven't committed a crime. You, the law will assume that you will, you know, or wouldn't the not commit, that not commit future crimes. Where's the zo- where's the zombies? Where's the werewolves have no choice? They, you know, unless they, you know, presumably, you know, will they lock themselves up and and you know keep themselves away from people? Maybe, but what if they get out, there's no one to watch them. Yeah. It's kind of like every man for themselves. So it's, it's an, I don't think we're going to answer it, but I think it's an interesting uh, question certainly. And I do like the part of the story where now we're defaulting back towards the alternate universe, whereas now you see the uh, wizarding government try and start adopting you know bans on Muggleborns attending hard. Hogwarts, and they're going down that same slippery slope that they went down 15 years ago in the alternate universe. So I love the scene where where, yeah, where Remus mentions it to Harry. Oh my god, this is awful. They're going to put you in prison, and all of a sudden there's going to be a labor <laughs> shortage. And oh my god, the interest <laughs> rates are going to go up. <laughs> the stock market's going to crash. Exactly. And Remus is like slapping Harry, trying to snap him out of there. And she's like, whoa, someone has a vivid imagination. Hey, I was Harry. I'd, I'd, I'd spread the story of what went wrong you know, warn some people. But Yeah, but then you have to open with, you know, I was, I was I at another time. I was in reality because Voldemort and I made a secret plan to save my mother from dying, but I had to go back in time and kill her. And, like, it's, I think you'd lose some <laughs> credibility. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the battle. Now, it's good to know that the teachers are so brilliant that they all got bonked over the head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with like, a, like with like, there's like 43 vases in the common room. A goggle walks in, bonk. <laughs> in their defense, bonk. They were up against Slytherins in their defense, and there was no Slytherins around to protect them. You put a bunch of Gryffindors, Hufflepuffs, and Ravenclaws with some some Slytherins, even Slytherin kids, and we all know who's going to come out on top. Don't worry. Up Slytherin. Up Slytherin. <laughs> I'm not sure I really follow your point though, because wasn't it the Slytherins who knocked out all the teachers and tied them up and left them? In That's, that was exactly my point. What I was saying, I was making a joke. I was saying, what do you? Things going to happen when there's no when you when you have teachers who aren't from Slytherin with a group of Slytherins. That is true. Because Snape was away from the office that day. Where's Snape's uncle at that point? Is he bonked up? Well, I love the fact that they don't even bother getting Flitwick because he's a master jeweler. We might have problems with him. They poison him and tell him it's a cheerful potion, and we want to know. Yeah. How would you know if it works? Like I don't know. So I thought that was creative. Now Harry has a really stupid battle strategy. His battle strategy is send. Dobby to get the teachers out of the common. While Dobby and the elves are doing that, we're going to launch an attack at the forest to rescue Safe Malboy. My thought was, why don't you have Dobby pop in, look around, pop right back out, and then report to Harry what you found? 
<laughs> like, you know, they're all drugged. Okay, we're leaving now. Let me know when they wake up. Versus they all have their hands up and Zabini is, you know, pointing a wand at them. So then, you know, you could have, for example, Dobby pop back in, hit him over the head with the vase, and then all the teachers could come out. Well, like, why didn't he just have Dobby blink out and go get Snape? That's a better question. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> Spider over the head with the vase, not Bob. I mean, why even go through all of that? We had a lot of that sort of question on the last episode, and it basically boiled down to five words, because the plot says so. The plot says so, exactly. Well, that was my question. It took a great deal of time to get the staff out of there, so I thought that took a while. Now, I do really like the part where they're all up in the towers. I've just seen Half-Blood Prince, so I know exactly where they're all standing. And Harry does not seem to have down uh, the pep talk yet, because he gets the <laughs> note delivered to him that Dumbledore has been killed in a freak grilling accident. And he closes with, this note says Dumbledore is dead. I don't believe it. Dumbledore is dead. We are all screwed. Godspeed. <laughs> like, it's just like... <laughs> the, only, the only good thing he had going there was for Dumbledore and Draco Malfoy and Severus. And it was a little bit too long for a rallying cry because it was like a list of names, but still, like, I like... And then they fly off in the tank formation and they're going to come out in waves. Yeah, and, I saw them like like the Blue Angels, you know, in their V. <laughs> I've got Top Gun going in the background. A picture yeah. from After the End. <laughs> There's a scene from um, After the End where they're flying in a similar formation and Malfoy's being a prick on his broom and Sirius is riding on his motorcycle. So he pulls out in front of Malfoy and revs the engine and like the thing is <laughs> So I'm picturing that. Now, I really did enjoy that scene because in this scene you see uh, Hermione and you see Ron act as Harry's best friends again. And he's just so thrilled because he has them back because they're talking to him again and the fight's over. And it almost works until he mentions, by the way, Malfoy's under the obedience charm. Did I forget to tell you that? Uh, by the way, uh, Victor Crumb is grandson. Did I forget to tell you that, too? Uh, I'm so forgetful with names. Which was interesting, too, because all through the story, Harry just refers to him as the heir. The heir. So he, he didn't consciously think to himself... Victor Crumb. It's kind of like, yeah. I, I saw a Hogwarts professor. Good God, he's a Death Eater, but I don't think of his name. Yeah. See, I almost read this as, it's interesting to me that Harry in this fic is starting to remind me a lot of Dumbledore. Just spewing out information that, right where it might be useful. Well, yeah, almost like, like he comes across, and this is how I read her interpretation of Dumbledore, too. Like, you just know, like, like you're not purposely keeping secrets, really, but you just happen to know, like, two bazillion, bazillion hundred zillion facts, and like... She believes in the there's... collective unconscious. Conscious. Yeah, it's, it's just like, oh yeah, I didn't have time to mention this really crucial fact that only I know, but blah, 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 blah. I actually didn't like Dumbledore in this set of chapters. I thought he was mildly a prick, because Harry comes back, and he, he regains his memories, and Dumbledore takes him to Madame Pomfrey, and they give him some, you know... I don't even know what they give him. They give, they give him the potion to restore his memory, and I think I think he's constipated, so they give him something for that, too. And I think they give him some Metamucil. They give him all this crap. So <laughs> so he's so. in bed, and he's got the throat. No pun intended. So he's in bed, and he's got all this stuff going on. And Dumbledore comes in and screams at him. And the voice he used, apparently, to shut up the Great Hall and Goblet of Fire, because Gambin just started... So it's, when he sh- it's when he shakes Harry and Goblet of Fire in the background. Yeah, throws him into the trophy case. Then when he screams at Barty Crowd, and then there was another scene where he was fair. Be fair. Harry brought all of this on by saying to Dumbledore, do you want to talk about it? 
Dumbledore screams them, how could you have let him do this? And Harry's like, well, in fairness, Professor, I had slept in six weeks, and in fairness, it was to save the life of my dead mother and dead sister. And Dumbledore's like, I already know that. Why did you do it? <laughs> and I'm like, for the aforementioned reasons, you bastard. I was in a... Like, it's just like, Dumbledore's very unforgiving. You would think Dumbledore would at least understand that Harry had a moment. Like, you don't need to browbeat him after the fact. Yeah, Would he you? was kind of insensitive. Just, yeah. Just like, if, if this wasn't Harry Potter, Ryan, this was just like some rent, like this was like some random semi friend you knew, and they did this and almost like destroyed the world in like World War Three. Would you have just forgiven them or would you have been a little pissed? Well, the fact that I think they fixed the whole thing. You know, it's kind of like I broke the lawnmower, I bought you a new one. <laughs> like, you know, I, br- <laughs> I, like, I really screwed up, I fixed everything. Like, that's. That's a really simplistic view to take of it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Harry broke the lawnmower, but bought oh, them a new one. And before I forget, I would just like to say, who was right about Soviet Russia? <sighs> your your point was that Ginny was a different character as a result of Soviet Russia. No, no, yes. no, no. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I, it was I don't even want to know what this conversation okay, okay. was about. Mike suggested in the last podcast that AU Ginny was very different from Canon Ginny, and the source of the divergence was the existence of the Soviet Union. No, what I, what I was trying to what I was trying to drive. Oh, no, 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 no. Totally don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Right. Did you want to talk about time travel? But could we talk about the Soviet Union and Finland and what happened there first? Well, there's not much that happens in Finland. There's a battle and they, and they, and Harry saves the world and they don't have to get drafted. And they, I just love the fact that there is a universe out there somewhere where people escaping the draft come to America. Because usually, (laughs) don't we all go to Canada? Isn't that like the escape route? We all go to Canada? Yeah. Yeah. We all bail. Yeah. We all bail. To Canada, but I just love the fact that there is a universe out there where people come here. I just thought that was fascinating. I love that. I'm trying to avoid the Soviet Union as much as possible. Let's talk about time travel, though. Explain to me how this works. Barb writes everything. She breaks down every plot. She tells us everything Harry's thinking. We, there is nothing left on the table. We get it all. When the hell did Harry decide that he would absolutely, no question, reappear in May, but that his older self would return? immediately remember being in 1981 but not remembering the specifics until may well that's not what happened though but th- that is what happened no no yeah, what that, happened what happened yeah, that is what older, happened that's what happened no 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 his older okay. self his older self didn't go back in the early in the first month it, he didn't stay back he went back and told the other harry um don't accept this like he went he went back in time to like when he went made the choice to go to the alter universe and warned his other self not to do it but he himself didn't fully enter the universe until May. No, that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, okay, Harry won and Harry... Okay, English Harry, we Harry, okay? We Harry... Which one's we we Harry? The one who says we all the time. The the Scottish one. Remember the Scottish one? Well, this is the way that I thought about it. This is the way that I thought about it. Okay, in September is when it diverged, Right. right? September is when it diverged, and then it broke off into two. So you have the original timeline and you have the new timeline. So the original timeline went on and that Harry immediately knew that something was off, but he wasn't going to be able to tell anybody until May because he already had 
he didn't have the memories back yet because you know he, they weren't yeah, back he, yet. But he had he had like a vague. He remembered meeting we Harry. Yeah, he Why he, he rem- Scarless Harry. Scarred he remembered he remembered that it happened, and he remembered that when it was going to happen. He just didn't know enough to tell anybody any details. So right. he just said, "You're going no, to have to." What, what so it is, is, so is, Harry had to live in the alternate universe for that whole year to figure out how to get back. So both both timelines had to go on until Harry figured out how to get back. And so that's why it had to be in May. But I took it that when Harry was in the alternate timeline, when Harry was in the AU world, the original world ceased to exist. So Harry, who was 15 years and 10 months old, no, manages, to reset, hold on, manages to reset the timeline. When he goes back in time, he encounters Harry, who's 15 years and one month old, who has yet to change the timeline. And he tells 15 year and one month old Harry that, you know, you can't do this. You're going to go back in time. It's going to be September 1st again. You know, hang in tight. I'm coming. I'll be there in May. So then when the timelines reset themselves, 15 year and one month old Harry shows up again on the platform, jumps on the train. And when he ages to to 15 years and 10 months, his future self there's like a download and he gets all of those additional memories. So, so we Harry downloads into him at that point. And so that's how I took it. So presumably now, you know, the AU world ceases to exist because Harry reset it. I didn't get the sense that they were running side by side. I took it that it was actually Harry going back in time, which allowed that world to reexist because that is the plot line to, 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 to flip things back the way they came. So Harry doesn't believe they're, they're happening out there just, you know, beyond us. Well, I guess maybe I explained that, Weird. I don't know. It's, I, yeah. But why I, didn't Harry, for example, think when I tell you not to go back in time, I will cease to exist because I never would have been. I never would have existed because you never went back in time, and and you'll just show up on the platform and have no memory of any of this crap. Because Harry knows that he doesn't understand deep existential shit like that, and so he just didn't bother. He's just very... My only point is he is very certain that he will go back to the original timeline and remember all this crap happened. For all he knows, he will cease to exist just like his dad and, and Hermione with the with the bug and all that crap. You know, He should have disappeared, and I'm glad he didn't. But he for, for a character who thinks through everything, I would have liked at least a paragraph where he's like, hmm, I wonder if this will work this way. I wonder if I'll remember. And it just seemed like it was just, yep, this is what's going to happen. I'm sure of it. Here's how I read it. Here's how I read it. Uh Okay. Um, I read it. Originally, I was reading it before we got to these chapters. I was reading it how you read it, Brian, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the worlds. Once you read this, I think you have to say they're parallel. And what happens is, well, a couple of things. First off, the the world Scarless Harry's from, that world wasn't meant to be that way either because it's that world's also influenced from the outside. So I think what happens is when Harry goes back in time, right? Mm -hmm. My my reading of it was he couldn't merge with that Harry because they're not actually the... He couldn't mar- mer- Scarless Harry couldn't mar- merge with Scarred Harry back in September because they're not actually the same Harry at that point because of the age gap. They're really two separate Harrys, 16-year-old Harry and, you know, whatever, 17-year-old Harry or whatever the age difference is. They're not really the same person in any sense of the world except they have the same or, you know, the first – the same origin, they're no longer the same person. So he can go back and he can warn Scarred Harry, don't do this, this is a mistake. Uh, but he can't actually merge with that Harry until they're the same age. And the point where they merge, the significance is now it's the same age, it's, it's they're the same person again. Because that's the point where Scarless Harry leaves that world and 
they're now you know the same level. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I was just curious why he thought it would work that way because there were other possibilities. He must have. You, I guess you just have to assume he researched it. He read the script. He right. read the script. <laughs> he, 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 in this episode of Stargate SG One, the season eight finale, Mobius, the team goes back in time five thousand years to steal a ZPM, which is a power source, and while they're there, their time traveling ship is discovered and captured. Uh, they can't get it back, so they joined the underground resistance movement that rose up and threw Ra off the planet. But because they were involved, they altered the original timeline and Ra took the Stargate with him. Thus, it was never discovered in Giza. Thus, the Stargate program never happened. Thus, the gold were never defeated. Thus, the galaxy is a very bad place. And thus, and thus. The team back in the past recorded a videotape of themselves, planted it where they knew it would be discovered during a certain archaeological dig. The military gets a hold of the tape. They find the second gate in Antarctica, and they set about fixing the timelines. They go through the gate to get the time-traveling ship, and so on. Uh, after some shenanigans, they go back in time to ensure that Rod doesn't take the gate. When he leaves, they leave the ZPM where it will be discovered at the appropriate time, and they live out their lives. Or it's like Data's head from Time's Arrow. <laughs> and back in the restored timeline, the ZPM is conveniently delivered to Stargate Command. Blah, 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 Star Trek, blah, 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 blah. They dig underneath San Francisco, and they find an old watch, a gun, and Data's head. It's been there for 500 years. Data found that odd, considering it's the 24th century and he's still using his head. At some point during the storyline, Data goes back in time 500 years, goes into that cavern, and due to some plot device, his head blows off, but his friends are able to take his body back to the future where his they don't have his head anymore, so they take the 500-year-old head they found in the archaeological dig, and they plonk it back on his body, <laughs> and they turn it, they dust it, they turn it back on, and everything works out fine. <laughs> it's the same basic principle, although it really has nothing to do with Harry Potter at the time of Good Intentions. But it, it, I, I, it's well, it's fun. discussing whether the alternate universe actually exists. The, the title of the episode is Mobius. Does everybody know what a Mobius strip is? Unfortunately, I do not. It's a piece of paper that only has one side. Oh, I love those. What you do is you take a strip of paper, you turn it once with with your wrist, and then you tape the two ends together. There's only one twist in it, and if you take a pen, you can just keep on drawing, and eventually it'll meet back up with itself. Yeah, I've seen those. Those are freaky. If you, like, you stare at those, those things play with your freaking mind. Like, they cool. do. This is deep. But yeah, yeah what I think happens to the... Uh, the, the it's too late world. for me to think about crap like this. The <laughs> only way I would enjoy it if there are two universes still out there, which I don't believe there are, I would love the, the fact that there is a Snape out there somewhere still waiting for Harry every day. Obviously, I don't think there is. What I think happens is there is an alternate universe, but now it runs as though Harry didn't interfere with it. Because what I'm saying is when Harry goes to that alternate universe to save his mother, he's now taking that alternate universe off its correct path, just like he did his universe. So now that alternate universe, it's still an the universe and there's still going to be things that are different but it's not going to be different in the way Harry made it different artificially. Yeah, what Mike is saying is that Harry's action fixes his original timeline, deletes the alternate universe he created and at the same time creates the correct alter- alternate universe. Right. right. I actually follow that, which for me is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I did too. Could I just ask one question? Why did it take Remus Lupin to tell Harry he should not fly over Hogwarts grounds at 3 o'clock in the afternoon as a Golden Griffin and a Magus? Because <laughs> when people notice it keeps landing on school property. <laughs> you know, I didn't it's quite get that, that either. That was supposed to be a secret. 
Yeah. It's a secret. But he keeps... He's, like, on the track field, and he jumps off, and everyone's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> it's Hagrid's pet, is what it is. It's Hagrid's pet. Now, we have the um, the betrayal of Evan Davies, and we have the supposed betrayal of Cho Chang. Harry speaks to her very sternly. Very sternly, um, you know, over over the over the Forbidden Forest. Wait, are you implying that they, they, they have a thing on Ryan? The, the, who has the thing? Cho and I, I didn't get that at all. That Cho and Harry are uh, no Cho. No. And, no, no, not at all. Oh, okay, good. Cause I didn't get that at all either. No, 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 not at all. Shouldn't have because they set her up with Victor Crumb, which was unfortunate because he turned out to be either a bad guy or under Imperius, one or the other. But he fell and broke his back, and that was incredibly sad. Harry was very moved by this. He'll never play Quidditch again. He'll. He'll never play Quidditch again. That is Harry that is. tells Hermione, quick, make something bright. Hermione sets the Forbidden Forest <laughs> First on fire. And I love Draco in, in the hostel wing. You set the damn forest on fire, creature. And she looks down. I was aiming for a shrub, and I missed. <laughs> you know, for the first time, she's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. Harry's flying over the forest. All of a sudden, he sees a giant explosion. He's like Hermione. They, they needed Gregory Goyle, man of action and pyromaniac there. Yes, yes, they did. Need the pyromaniac. So, um, and they capture Wormtail, which is a very good thing. And yep. that's pretty, I mean, they, they, they devise a pulley system to rescue Snape and, and, and Draco and, and Drapes. And <laughs> which, in the, which again, would have been so much easier if they just let Dobby do it. <laughs> Well, Dobby's like, they're like, Dobby, we want you to pick the lock to the Slytherin common room with a Discover card. Like, use your resources wisely. <laughs> and I love Dumbledore after the fact. He's like, Evan's parents will be pissed. He was in my custody. I'm like, where the hell were you during all of this? We thought you died in a grilling accident. <laughs> yeah, you I, know, the whole, I mean, whole we were like, lift the glass. Will you lift well, the glass for him? Will you lift it for me? And, and again, glass. and again, what I didn't get, Evan's parents will be pissed. Hello, let's give him a pensive memory. Exactly. Good well, point. no, yeah. then you have the thing where Dumbledore's like, Harry, I'm not usually political. And then alternate universe, I'm <laughs> <a shame laughs> took over the school. Now, Harry, listen to me. If we piss off Evan's dad, they're going to ban <laughs> Muggleborns from Hogwarts. And Harry's like, oh, crap. That would be bad. All right. Dumbledore, I will do whatever you say. If you want to say he's the best guy ever, I will go with you. And, and Dumbledore's like, oh, thank <laughs> God. Dumbledore gets up for his end of the year speech. You know, Roger's in the background. Everyone's in attendance. He's like, now here's the thing. Evan was an evil little prick. <laughs> and he made bad, bad, bad choices. I'm like, what happened to trying to appease his father? <laughs> <laughs> but before he turned into a bad, bad prick, he was a little boy and we liked him. Remember oh, that. Remus is like crying his head off in the back row. He's, he's like, he's talking about me. But I just thought that was hysterical. I'm like, I thought Dumbledore's whole plan was to suck up to Mr. Davies. And he's like, screw it. I hated him. Never liked him. Never. <laughs> oh, Dumbledore, you crazy little fella. Uh, he's. I thought that was very creative. And then, well, then there's the subplot where like Alicia and, and Fleur Delacour are the are the kindergarten teachers. I'm not sure why Fleur went to that career field. I'm not sure where that came from. I could see that, though. Well, it was just bizarre, because in the beginning of Psychic Serpent, it was Victor transferred to the to the Chudley Cannons, and Fleur's teaching at the <laughs> local school. No, he, he transferred to be the backup seeker for the Chudley Cannons. My question was, don't they have schools in France? Why are you moving because to Because she England? was a Triwizard champion, and the best she could do was teaching kindergarten children. Like, I just wasn't sure what made that career plan happen. Yeah. Although, Alicia, right now, 
now could be riding horses for a living, unfortunately. So I will say my pet peeve is the one thing I don't think Barbara quite grasps is the uh, is how sports work in the sense of the sports <laughs> mentality and this and the idea that like you mentioned. Wait a second, Mike. Yeah. Did you just say you're not sure that she grasps how sports work? Yeah. Carry on. Okay. All right. I grasp how sports work. Would be Ryan. Uh, sense, not, not only with with like the, the star Quidditch player which taking sports? a backup role on a team. Which which sports do you grasp? You know, I'm, I'm talking about the sports. I, I'm a great baseball fan. I'm talking, yeah, he is. Early on, we have Victor Crum giving up his star role to be a backup, and then on top of that, I, I don't understand. It drives me crazy as someone who watches sports that you have this amazing seeker in Ginny who can never lose. She wipes. Harry now kicks him around the pitch, basically, and she she's like leagues better than Harry as a seeker. Yet she's not going to be the seeker on the Gryffindor team. What sort of team lets the best doesn't let the best player by far start? They let the lesser players start. It drives me crazy every time I see it. And the fact that no one cared about the dueling club about someone cheating through it also, but mostly Ginny, which drives me crazy. All right, so let me get this straight now. Um, the, the fact that you don't leave with your star player drives you absolutely nuts. Penguin sex, you're fine. Yes. you imagine, like, like death row with this, could you imagine, like, uh, you know, the Yankees, we're not going to bother starting A-Rod, we're going to start, you know, Cody Ransom out of choice for fun, just because. Because Cody Ransom's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Let's start, Mark, uh, let's not start to share, you know what, I don't, he's better off not playing. He's better as a bench roll. Let's start, I don't know, Joe Schmo. Let's make sure everybody plays. Yeah, I mean, God, this... Ugh. All right, I'm going to start reading my notes here as we wind down for the evening because it might distract Mike if it's shiny enough. All right, um, I, I started making notes around the point that uh, that uh, Draco was transformed into an old woman with, with low-hanging boobs. Um, <laughs> now, we're at the point there where Lucius Malfoy in the AU universe pops up, ties up Charlie, Hermione, and, and Snape, uh, Hermione gets very pissed, overpowers him with um, accidental magic, and Harry flings uh, Malfoy over the side of 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 the of the big canyon to his death. They get in the car. They they have a comedic moment where they're like, mwah, 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 because Draco is, is an old woman. And that eventually wears off. And like an hour and a half later, Harry leans over the seat. Um, sorry about your dad. <laughs> like, it was just like, I was waiting for Draco to respond to the fact that Lucius just died. And it's like, nothing. So I thought that was a little funky the way that worked out there. Um, one question I have for you guys. I'm taking it from the storyline that you really could have had Draco do the spell with Harry. Harry and go back in time, but they didn't go that way. Instead, they wanted to use Riddle because it would probably maybe have a higher degree of success if it was Voldemort. But no, why, why he needed he needed it to be Riddle because he needed the power. He needed power. it had to be he had to, it had to be Riddle. It had to be Voldemort he to do the spell with him. Okay, that was somebody that you wronged. Okay, that that does make okay. That makes more sense because at one point weren't they going to try it with Draco, but they never got the chance. Like they couldn't, he couldn't just do it with anybody because he knew that the the only reason that they, he was able to do it in the first place was that because Voldemort said because we have the brother wands, we have you know we can perform these special spells together, and so he knew. Got it. Okay, I'm I'm fine with that so far. Now, does Draco die? 
in the alternate timeline? Does Riddle kill him to come back? Uh, I think presumably no, because Harry destroys the diary, which destroys Riddle, which releases the life force, which presumably goes back to Draco. Which was so. 20 years later. The reason I said it was there was a reference to Draco sacrificing himself, and I didn't know if that was like a full sacrifice or just that he broke out into sweats or whatever for it. Yeah, okay. but I don't think they were really sure. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, moving on here. Um, I had a question about the obedience charm, because it was smart enough to know that you can't shoot someone with the charm if there's the chance they can fall back and bump their head in a tree and die, but it's sort but doesn't know that if you shoot the book you'll die too but that is just me being petty that was just something i thought at the time i'm like really well, I, I think it's just kind of i just read that as the logic being that it means directly anything that hurts the actual person the book isn't going to hurt the person the person's going to cease to exist i don't know maybe forcing it to then at one point dumbledore when he's talking to harry refers to flitwick as flitwick which oh. as the guy who always goes professor snape harry i thought that was funny that he just randomly <laughs> called him i'm gonna go see flitwick now <laughs> so that was interesting um um, I have down, Ron is a date rapist. Could he pressure Hermione anymore? He then says they didn't do anything ashamed, they should be ashamed of. You were an asshat. Yeah. <laughs> when Harry is giving Ginny... Now, Ginny... He, he, uh, is, he, is, he is at least more subtle than Draco. Now... Now you have uh, you have Harry, who is sharp as a tack, who doesn't realize the fact that Ginny is being eaten by a dark creature directly next to him. He just thinks she's being quiet. So later on, she finds the note to, Dra- to Draco from Voldemort, and Harry gives her all of these instructions. And he ends with, you're going to do that, Ginny? You're going to take care of that? Okay, good. Good girl. Run along. I'm like, good girl? Wow. <laughs> did, my exact note was, did he pat her on the butt as she left? <laughs> How sexist was that? Good hustle. Yeah. Yes. Now, this is a, this is another line from the story, and I quote, <clears throat> Draco Malfoy and Professor Snape... Now, this is... Let me just point out. This is a line from Harry. Draco Malfoy and Professor Snape are at the mercy of giant carnivorous spiders. <laughs> My note on that is Dan Radcliffe, in his wildest dreams, could not pull off that line. You <laughs> <laughs> pulled it off pretty well, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I? What I'm holding up my fingers like pinchers. Pinchers. <laughs> Sirius is free. Lock slam. <laughs> There's a line in here. Ron looked older than Harry had ever remembered. I'm picturing Ron with the walker <laughs> with the tennis balls. Trying to. <laughs> And the last note, I well, uh, I stopped taking notes earlier, but one note that I have was I would have, the one thing I love in stories like this is these stories are incredibly verbose. There, there's no, and then Harry went and told them everything. We hear the same thing over and over. We got the scene in 1981 twice, both versions from Scar Harry and Scarless Harry. Which I, I liked that. I The only reason I liked it is it explained to me where the hell Scarred Harry and Voldemort went, because Scarless Harry turned around and they were both gone, and that made no sense to me why they would have ceased to exist there because he should have been the one to cease to exist. And what actually happened was they ran off into the woods and he was just unobservant. So I actually, that removed a plot device. um, Hole. Yeah, it removed a plot hole there, which I just thought was was kind of funky. But the one scene I would have liked to see, which we didn't get, is we didn't get Ron telling his mother he's a werewolf. We may still have ah. seen them, though. No, that was... And then Ron went home and told them everything, and they all hugged him. Yeah, no, yeah, they, yeah we didn't said, get it. Yeah, he said he wasn't filing a civil suit. No one tried to change his mind. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, it's very funny that we get Ron being mauled by a werewolf here as opposed to Bill. Yeah. And he gets a little gray hair and everything like that. <laughs> um, let's see... 
There's a note in here. Dumbledore is biased against Slytherins. Way back in chapter 15, he says, I never thought I'd be helping two Slytherins. I can't believe I'm doing this right now. <laughs> oh, well, he was what happened to House Unity? Yeah, seriously. Well, wasn't that when he was the janitor, though? Yes. Sure. Yes, it was. Um, he was channeling Aberforth. <laughs> I just got to say, in chapter 15 again, you see Simon Snape, who is 12 years old. He throws himself in the path of the Cruciatus curse for his older sister. Yeah. And then when Binns goes to do the killing curse on Simon, Jamie throws herself in the way. And I just got to say, this is what Slytherins will do for their blood. Good <laughs> God. <laughs> That just reminds me of the scene later on where Harry's in Ben's class and he just writes on the piece of paper, I know. I know. Holds it Mr. Up. Potter, can I see you in Paul? <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, that was, and honestly, it, the story itself actually worked for me. And I love where it ends up with, where Harry's trying to make Ben's feel better because technically Ben's will now live the re- you know, all eternity knowing he's a murderer because Harry made a mistake. Well, he's not really a murderer though because it's revealed he was a under the imperious curse. True, but he allowed it to happen. And, yeah. I mean, he had a role in it, at the very least. But yeah, now Binz is going to be tortured for that forever as a result of Harry going back in time. So Harry's as culpable as Binz is. But I would have loved to have seen him try and kill a ghost. Yeah. Binz's monotonic droning made him want to learn exorcism. Exactly. <laughs> we got to see Harry in a towel. Of course we did. That was very, very pleasing to the female population. And Remus. Andrew we got to see him in a kilt. Yes, we did. I like how when Harry and Draco get sick, Riddle commands Harry to get help, even if it is from muggles. Uh, this is very intelligent on his part, and I can't actually see Canon Voldemort doing this. Well, I can't see him doing it either. I think it would have been better if he wrote, even if they're Jewish. <laughs> well, he doesn't tell that it's Muggleborn. I wonder what Riddle would have thought of that. <laughs> Where the only help nearby is a muggle-born. Crap. Uh... I really love the last scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in the entire part of the story where he carves Jamie's name into his parents' Yeah. Graves. That was beautiful. Because it's the thing that we... You know what it is, too? It's like if... Like, I love pictures. I have pictures of everyone up everywhere. And if I were Harry, I would try and get the picture from the pensive of himself, Jamie, and Draco just walking away from the camera when they were kids. Because the the one reason the story is, I think, so popular and why it means so much to me is that that really happened. You know, Jamie really existed. That Draco really existed. Simon and Stuart really existed because because Harry remembers them and because they they were real at the time. And even though things changed and and, and timelines didn't work out that way, you have to believe that they were real and that Snape's affection for Harry as as his stepdad is real. So in that sense, I mean, they're as real to Harry as anyone who's still alive. He still mourns them. He still misses them. So the fact that he will walk to his parents' grave and carve her name in there in the years that she had lived in the other timeline, I mean, it makes her that much more real. He'll go there and he'll visit their graves and hers. And I just thought that was just such a cool concept. It was. Because most sci-fi, you know, you change the timeline and then that never happened. Well, to Harry, it did. Jamie's his sister and that's that. Here, here. Anybody ever wonder just how Riddle feels in the diary when they're telling him, oh, we traveled to this town and then we walked another hour and now we're in this town. I wonder if Riddle's inside the the diary keeping a map. (laughs) 
Are they telling him about Harry's ability to fly? Because he's got to be wondering how they're just popping up a few hundred miles. Turn left on Main. <laughs> like, he's like at the GPS system. Well, then he's like, hello, hello. He's banging on the outside. Sorry, we took a few days off. It's Cedar. Like, you're Jewish? Like Cedar, yes. I am never going to pronounce it. Well, you call her Nagana gal. We all do. Yeah. And all the descriptions of the traveling, I mean, they managed to set out at 10 o'clock in the morning, and all I could picture in my head was the hobbits from the Fellowship of the Rings. Ah, we've had first breakfast, yes, but not second breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the thing is, too, what do you think of the way she writes it? Because it's literally, it's like the weirdest trip ever. They run into Alicia, we're going to stay with her for a few weeks. It's like yeah. following the dead. <laughs> really? Alicia, what is up with her? She steals her boyfriend's clothes? Or they all leave them there, so <laughs> she's got, like, every available size. Well, no, it, it just really cracks me up in that it's almost like one of those old dramas on TV where, you know, they're trying to get to their journey at the end of the series, but this week they'll stop off and help a young woman learn to ride her horse again. after, her, <laughs> And then the next week they'll stop off and help Ruth rediscover what it means to be Jewish. It's like they're just, like, good Samaritans on the way. <laughs> and they make breakfast, and they like... I, I just, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Samaritan! <laughs> What was the reason they couldn't, like, I don't know, like, steal a car or jump on a bus? <laughs> They've been there in three days. Because Not even three days. They've probably been there in a day. How big is England? <laughs> because of the plot. Yes, the plot says so. It was so. part of the plot. Um, and everyone tries to sleep with Harry and Draco on the way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And why not? Well, no, can I just ask you? Okay, she really misled here. You're led to believe that Draco assaulted Jamie or something awful happened for which Draco can never forgive himself, that he will sacrifice his very existence to atone. Lines are given when he's sleeping to imply that he slept with Jamie or something awful happened. And then you hear Alicia trying to comfort him and all this stuff. And finally, Harry's like, what was it? He's like, I gave Ginny the egg. egg. Did it kill her? <laughs> oh, and you didn't sleep with my sister? No, she didn't they want to. Oh, all right. You're really giving up your existence for that? Really? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a downer, yeah. wasn't it? It was misdirection. He's like, I stole something from J.C. Penny. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh, I shoplifted gum when I was four. Yeah, it's like, oh, really? Oh, make a final confession. If you found J.C. Penny give you like a hundred dollars of free stuff by accident, would you return it, Ryan, or would you keep it? I once got a free computer because I bought a computer, and I tried so hard to pay for that thing, but they would never bill my credit card for it. <laughs> so you just gave up? I, I wrote them letters. One person actually told me at the store, we won't tell if you won't. Nice. nice. I had the other day at work, they overpaid me, I reported. It. I like how the Slytherins both went at the same time. Nice. Yeah. You know, I get overpaid, and I even like emailed a guy today, I was supposed to get charged for my honeymoon, they never charged me, so I called the guy up to say, I'm going to charge me for that. <laughs> See, why is this wasted on you? It should go to someone who doesn't want to call them up. Exactly. I would so. just like to bring up something from one of the previous casts. We, af- we asked if it's possible to send an owl to these kids. It is possible, because Draco gets a- an owl from Lucius. You know what you should do? Set up 50,000 owls and then follow them to see where Harry That's what we were discussing last podcast. (laughs) And it's like, the Longbottoms must really be dumb. (laughs) They are idiots. They they leave armed suspects with their backs turned to go over and look at Lily's body. Well, you know, that's apparently a character flaw of several people here, because when... uh, 
Lucius and Barty Crouch uh, ambush them at the armory there, they don't take their wands away. They just tie them up. Yeah. <laughs> well, note the thing I thought would have been great, too. Remember when Harry pops back up into the into the common room and, and it's over, our 18-chapter arc has ended, and I'm a Gryffindor again, and this is and he's like, he walks around, and he's like, Ron, you're a Gryffindor. Hermione, you go to Hogwarts. <laughs> and my name's Harry, and I'm an orphan. And they're all looking at him with their eyebrows raised, like, oh my god he has finally snapped and he's yeah. like ruth mazel tov. and she's like what and then he goes around i was waiting for him to be like neville and grabs him by both cheeks you're not a prick and kisses him <laughs> on the lips or something i think we're uh, nearing the end of our ability to podcast this evening so we would like to thank you all very much for joining uh this episode of jewish idol we, 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 we really have enjoyed it and um <laughs> you're welcome and uh any last minute yeah on I, I do Actually, I know what Harry can do now. Okay. He and Parvati should hook up for meaningless sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, was the, well, everybody else is like, I don't know. Well, then you have Mariah Kirchner, who apparently wants to help him with his non-existent virgin problem. So <laughs> He's got yeah. options. That's all I'm saying. He does have options. And she apparently has gloves with the tips missing. So Fingerless gloves, yeah. See, she Jeff smokes. Ball. Yes. How would you compare this ending to the podcast to my really smooth ending last week? This is so, so much. I don't even know. They're, they're incomparable. That's a good way to put it. They're incomparable. Yeah. So with that... It's um, a very odd episode tonight. Well, I think it, when we had the Jews on, it got a little confusing for, for our regular listeners. So we're yeah. just going uh, to go for it now. So with that, we will see you back next week for the first 10 chapters of Harry Potter and the Triangle Prophecy. I hear it's a doozy and Mike will not read it. The prophecy, <laughs> not the actual the prophecy, story. Prophecy, yes. Yeah. He'll skim. <laughs> well, that'll be like six chapters where they try to figure out what the prophecy is, right? Right. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably skip those two. <laughs> Great. Seriously, <laughs> I don't care what the prophecy is. I know they're going to figure it out. That you like know. See, I would like to see a story where there's a prophecy that nobody can figure out and thus never gets fulfilled. And it's a stumper. They just never know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guess else? what? In Triangle Prophecy? Oh, no, I can't tell you. Am I the only one? I know it's really bad to say this, but every time I read that title, I think Triangle Shirt Factory. I want to know whose phone is off the hook in the background. Oh, I think that might be me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's tried, you. I accidentally plugged it in. That's, I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me figure out how to turn it off. You hang it up. No, no, no. I don't want it to work. <laughs> oh, God. You got to unplug it. Sorry. Hold on. I, I plugged it in because we were doing a podcast and I had to order dinner. There we go. Did you eat it? No, doing podcast. It's twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah, well, what can you do? All right, uh, All right. it's uh, we need to get going because it's twelve thirty in the morning, and Gen Two has a three-year-old who's going to be up in like an hour and a half. So with yeah. that, we will see you back for Harry Potter and the Triangle Prophecy. And if you think that Harry just needs to have you know just casual, forgettable sex with someone, stay tuned for the first ten chapters. <laughs> All good right. night. Have a good Shalom. night. Shalom. <laughs> <Mazel laughs> there simply must be, simply must be Jews. Simply must be Arthur, trust me, simply must be Jews. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this part. The peons are coming. And welcome to Peoncast. I'm Kelly. I'm Kayla. I'm Scott.
I'm Sue. And I'm Don. And we have Cody duct taped in the corner. And for those of you who've listened to podcasts a while before, you will know how amazing it is that that worked on the very first time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Ooh, we only had to do it once. How about that? Uh Well, today we are covering the F words number five first by Antosha, or however we're pronouncing that. And this is being hosted on phoenixsong.net, and you can find it in our show notes. Well, let's see. Scott, why don't you start? Okay, well, it starts, they've skipped a little bit of time since the last one, uh, which is okay, because I skipped a lot of bit of time since the last one I've been on. (laughs) And they are now on September the 1st, which we know because Hermione's being wistful about not being on the Express. Yes. Apparently, they are painting, and we soon discover in a couple of paragraphs that they're fixing up the Shrieking Shack, which we discovered in the last one is apparently owned by Harry's family in this universe. Yes. And I like the line, the Shrek isn't shrieking anymore. Yeah, the Shrek shrieks no more. (laughs) Except no one can now say it. So right, <laughs> I, I'm amazed that the author didn't pick up on that and play with it a bit. It seems that the humour works on that sort of level in this fic, especially this chapter. I'm, I'm amazed that the author didn't play with the shrieking shack shrieks no more bit. I think I actually managed that. I think I managed it. You did very well. Mm-hmm. Pretty close. <laughs> yep. Take a bow. So Creature is helping and they are yeah. painting apparently here. Yeah, it's um, how many? All six of them, I think, or oh, not quite, because well, Neville, Neville isn't there, but Dean is. So Dean <laughs> is right. Anybody else have trouble with the fact that Dean was laying in Luna's lap, but painting her smock, and I was trying to figure out how exactly he had his head in her lap, but was still painting the smock. He could have been looking over at her knee, no? No, I didn't, because that's not that hard. I mean. You just have the paintbrush over you and you don't mind getting dripped on, basically. Okay. It just seems like it would be a very odd angle. If he was looking towards her, like painting on her stomach or something. Or even just like leaning his head up and... Yeah, he probably had his head on her knees or something and was painting on her. Okay. Or back of his head on her lap and then he's just painting without really looking what he's doing. So right arm up over his body and then painting on her. I've given this too much force, it seems. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it just seemed odd to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's not your usual sort of painting thing, but it would probably work somehow. Well, I suppose it in part depends on um, whether he's right or left-handed. Yeah, we don't really know that about anyone. And which way he's leaning on her. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> There's too many variables to actually decide whether it's doable or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> that would be close to mind the details. Do we really that? know to know if Dean is left or right-handed? Not really. Okay. Do we really have enough interest in the subject to keep talking about it? No. Yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> we will move on. Okay. So we have six people who are painting. Creatures come in and said, it's time for lunch. And of course, Ron immediately jumps up and runs downstairs to the kitchen. Oh, food. Yay. That's a surprise. That's a surprise. I am surprised that Creature didn't come in banging a big gong. Because that's just a way of doing it. 
You take a big gong, you bang it, and everyone knows that's the symbol for dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, he wanted to, you know, we had to make an appearance here. Yes. And, uh, With actual lines. You know. Talking. Right. So, I like this line. <laughs> Haven't had you alone in a bedroom for a while. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, Probably that one since just, his birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that just threw me a little bit, because... My mind was on a slightly different track with the word had. Ha ha. Not yet. The track it Get, the f- the, get off yeah, that the, track. The track They're diverts. not there yet. Later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The station's a bit further right. down the line, perhaps. Yes. Stay tuned. Tune in next week. Um, okay, and here's another thing, because I've read this three times now, so I guess I'm just picking out the little things. But when Luna says, oh, I hope we're having plimpy soup, and, and Harry says, I don't think they're up this far. And she says, well, maybe French onion then. And she follows Dean out, or as he follows Luna out the door, Dean smiles and winks and was gone. And I missed that followed Luna out the door the first couple of times, and I was thinking that he was going downstairs to get Creature to... Oh, specifically make the soup for her. No, I think I get the feeling from what's said later that he already did that. Yeah, I had a feeling. I think he knows that it's her favorite soup and that plinky, plunky soup thing is... Gulping plimpies. Yeah, that is a lunarism. Mm -hmm. Right. As twere. Though we do, I think, run into them in Deathly Hallows, don't we? Or either at least Xenophilius also acknowledges their existence. Zeno tells the trio that Luna is out catching plimpies for soup. Yeah. Okay, right. yeah. A liar. But she's not there. Yeah, when she's not there. Yeah. Kayla, they're in the bedroom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about this. You know, it's so funny. I was reading Mom, this just before, wow, wow. and I'm just like, wow, I really don't have any comments this time. Like, the one time that they're actually... Oh, no, have they done it yet? Not yet. Did I just ruin it? No, they haven't done it yet. When they do do it, I have a lot of comments about that scene. I have a oh, lot great. of comments. That's funny, because I don't think I have any comments this time. <laughs> and Dan, you're the one, always the one getting after me for the comments. <laughs> well, at least that'll make it a more peaceful podcast. There you go. I like how they all seem to be have the same idea. Because Ron pops up from lunch early, which is um, abnormal, and then things sort of go on from there. As usual, we have one person completely failing to get it. You know, Harry. Who it go again, sex goes completely over his head. No, I don't think it does. They're that age. Are we still talking about the bedroom or are we down talking at lunch? I don't know. <laughs> Harry looks completely flabbergasted at the idea that Hermione and Ron have had sex before. You mean they wait, what? You you mean they've wait? <laughs> you know, you can just see the look of blank incomprehension on his face. They've done what now? Well, mm-hmm. well, he f- he figures everyone is at the same stage that he and Ginny are. Which are still in baby steps, sort of. Yes. <laughs> well, kind of. It's a great leap forward, this chapter. I thought it was interesting that... It, 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 <laughs> I just thought it was... Ginny is laughing at Harry because Hermione has told her, but Ron hasn't told him. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Which you really wouldn't expect them to, anyway. Actually, I disagree. That seems odd. In a boys' school, or an environment with a lot of boys that age, one of the major topics of discussion is... Sex. Sex Sex and who's had sex with whom. Well, but Hermione is basically Harry's sister, and Ginny is Ron's sister, so the two of them aren't going to be talking about it. (laughs) Cody says, This is one 
weird quadrangle. I mean, Harry would be talking to Ron about what he's doing with his sister. Ron would be talking to Harry about something he's doing with his best friend since age 11. Just awkward all around. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry's always said he's always seen Hermione as a sister. So, yeah. At least in the fix where he's with Ginny anyway. Oh, right. They do mention that element and it is there, but you still expect something to be going on. You still expect them to talk about it a little bit, just in the sense of what not to do if nothing else. Yeah, but at the same time, they've been dating for three months. I mean, yes, they had seven years of foreplay, but they've been dating for three months. So this is kind of a big step. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know people who've dated for a year who never slept together or two who never slept together. You know, it's that whole we're saving ourselves for marriage kind of thing. So that having them do this after three months, that's that's rather... Yes, I understand that they've known each other for seven years and they've had seven years of the, you know, the fighting for play, but still. It's absolutely believable, especially if given that period of years where they've been spending all their time together. I mean, I don't have any problem with the idea that going down the way it does. That seems perfectly real. I don't either, but I'm just saying that it's for these people. I mean, the actualization of their relationship has only been three months. And so, yeah, I can... I think you guys are both saying the same thing right now. Yeah. It was a shock for Harry. <laughs> Harry is easily shocked. <laughs> Harry Potter. Yes. Well, Hermione and Ron seem to have had more relationship buildup than he and Ginny did anyway. So it's not yes. terribly surprising that they're further forward than Harry and Ginny are. Right. Because there wasn't the interruption of, oh, I can't be with you, I have to go kill the bad guy thing either so right right <laughs> no but there was the interruption of oh no you've wigged out on us and gone home oh well yeah but that didn't last quite as long you know that was that whole bit they, cody says uh rod and hermione have had more more of a calm time you know all that time in the tent so they were out even though they weren't actually dating or having a relationship they did spend that really close time together yeah. But it was all that sexual pent-up frustration. Because they're in closed quarters, you know, they're away from Hogwarts where they're not constantly, you know, in different groups of people. And they have all that other, I guess, you know what I mean? Influence, you're not around the teachers, you're not around the students, you don't have the separate dorms, you don't have the classroom yeah. type of feel and adult. Though according to some fix, having the classrooms all around is a useful thing. Especially since most of them seem to be empty. That's true. Well, yes, especially if they're empty. Mostly the ones that people aren't using. They like to go and find all of those. I wouldn't want to use the pe- ones that people are using, personally. Don't they bust out the invisibility cloak? <laughs> I don't think that would quite work. Oh, I don't know, I just read that one. Aren't yes, there fix there are. that are like that? I'm sure yes, there are. there are. And under the dining room table at the borough. Okay, with Molly so. cooking okay, that would not that would just not work unless they were doing something very wrong because Ginny should not be that quiet. Mufflato. Oh, that's true. That's true. I think we broke Cody. <laughs> <laughs> be rocking back and forth in her chair. Poor Cody, rocking back and forth in the chair with the duct tape on. Cody would look kind of crazy like that. After they dropped this bombshell on Harry about Ron and Hermione, and the reason that this comes about is Ron finishes lunch first and stands up and is like okay and they're like are you sick are you okay are you, you're done eating is is everything fine and he's like i bear in mind his reason for getting up as well i mean i think it's just he's really bad at thinking up excuses because i'm going to help her get settled into her room which the house elves will of course already have done and we know this fact full well oh well he didn't think of that it's crazy 
You'd think he could have come up with a better excuse from that seven years ago, let alone now. Or just say what you're actually going to do and save yourself the trouble. And Hermione saying, I, I just have, just want to show him something in my rooms. Uh, oops. Uh, maybe, you know, she embarrassed herself too. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you have Luna who says, yeah, and Dean, let's go have sex at your place too, because, you know, you're going to be gone for a while and, and we need to go do as much as we possibly can. Yeah, but at least she's simply matter of fact about it rather than trying to be coy. She's just, let's go have sex. Wait, that's a bit blunt. <laughs> well, sh- she's Luna. Oh, it's absolutely typical right. Luna. <laughs> it's probably pretty kinky too. And then we have the uh, matchmaking house elf. Yes. Yes. Oh, by the way, I've uh, set up your bedroom for uh, tonight. <clears throat> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's got the candles. He's got the very white. The red rose and the bud vase next to the bed. Uh, well, we've missed something here. Okay. We've missed Mistress. Yes, we've missed Mistress. Yes, mistress. Creature now calls yeah. Ginny Mistress. Mistress. But he, she's the only one. And because ha- Harry looks at Ginny and says, Does he call a lot of witches that? And she says, Oh, Ginny, no. Ginny looks at Ginny Harry and looks asks at that. Harry and, and asks that. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I like all the other ones. Um, Hermione is Master's friend. Right. Luna is Master's unusual friend. And Ginny is Master's lady friend. Yes. And that's been upgraded now to Mistress. <laughs> yeah. I love Creature, like how everyone's been writing him in fix ever since like book seven when he went all nice and stuff. It's so funny because you can just picture him too from like movie five. Hi there. This is Editor Sue. Just letting you know that the part that's coming up was recorded many months ago. As you will see, uh, yeah, it does really take us that long to get these out. And he's going to go back to, oh, let me get this right and not channel Mike. Number 12 <laughs> Grimald Place. Mm-hmm. That would be the one. Yeah, I had to think now. Okay, am I doing it right or am I messing up because of Mike? Explain that to me, please. The last podcast or so that was released, it was 13 Grindelwald Place. Oh, God. <laughs> Grindelwald. Yeah, so everyone was inside Grindelwald. It didn't work very well. And they called him on Grindelwald and nobody called him on 13. So he just started calling it number 13. That's where headquarters was, number 13. So they go back upstairs, and Harry's room is finished. They were painting it before lunch. I like the detail that this is the room that they all met in in book three. I didn't quite realize that until Mm -hmm. they mentioned it, but of course it would be. With the old four-poster bed? Yeah. That's nice. But I do think someone needs to tell the author about sex. Because, seriously, stripping someone is not that easy. This is a PG fic. Yes, but clothes don't begin to disappear anyway. Right. Yeah. Never says how much time that, actually. That's takes not the problem. It just um, it's speeding it's, through it, the whole thing. It, it's speeding it, through the whole thing, but in a very, very smooth way. Yeah. It implies the whole thing goes perfectly the first time. Well, yeah, of course. Harry's kind of dazed. Right. 
Harry's it, not paying it's attention. It's not like they've it had happened. practice at this thing, presumably. And they are wizards. I mean, maybe the clothes really do just disappear. That's right. Evan, let's go. <laughs> yes, I, c- I can see how that spell would be useful. What is this? The, um, the wizarding equivalent of the infinite improbability drive? A great hit at parties? You never know. Uh, I'm going to stop us for just a sec and bring in what Cody wants to say here. She says, what do you all think regarding the connection between the remodeling of the Shrieking Shack and Remus's death? Just because the Shrieking Shack is so connected to Remus. It's an interesting point, yeah. I think that's very played down. I mean, I think that's not really brought into it here. That was dealt with more last chapter when they gave Harry the Shrieking Shack in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because he'd also just revealed his death to the Dursleys. Now we're at the point where we're far enough removed from his death and from it being given to Harry. All those associations are much reduced at this point, so that's not as big an issue to deal with in fact. Mm-hmm. He is still feeling it because he does mention the bed and say, you know, that's where we all met. That's where I... It's very briefly touched on, which actually surprises me a little bit because if he's been doing the decorations for this long and he's done some of work in that bedroom, then he's only just associating it. What happened the whole summer? Where did he kind of forget that? Well, I'm not sure how much they've been actually working on the house the whole summer because it sounded like they were spending a lot of the summer up at the castle working on the castle. And I think they just started working on the house. I get feeling that it's weekends they've been working on the house and weekdays they've been working on the castle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. That could be. Yeah. Anybody else want to weigh in on that one? I don't know. I got the idea. It's definitely been a shorter time that they've been working on the house. And they were mostly working on the castle. But this is the first time he's used the room as his own. It's sort of, like he was saying, he's reclaiming his great-grandparents' house. And he's claiming the room because he's using it rather than just being in it, cleaning yeah. it. Yeah. So it could well have different um, sort of connotations that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you guys can go back to the sex discussion, but I, I wanted to get Cody's thing in there at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world has changed. <laughs> <laughs> to Harry, it has. And yet hasn't. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. I, I do think Harry's I'm a bit so of an idiot for bringing up the whole, are you still angry with me thing? Well. After two goes of it in bed. No. That just seems like really poor timing. I can hear <laughs> Cody laughing. I, obviously, <laughs> it's not going to affect their relationship too incredibly much. If she's willing to go for it with you in bed I don't twice. Know, I still think I think you can still and be mad at somebody and it's still there. So why ask at that precise moment? Right. Well, he didn't get an answer earlier in the chapter, so yeah, he it's was on his mind. I guess <laughs> Are you mad at him about that now too. And wasn't he worried about her? You know. Papa chicka bow wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be. And so maybe that's why he thought maybe that had to do with her still maybe being upset. For some girls, it is. <laughs> Ooh. I actually like that because of some of the discussion people have had about bad smut and things like that. In this, they aren't perfect the first time. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. <laughs> right. He wasn't ravaging her. We know that Jen would say, but he's Harry Potter. But yeah, how many people get it right the first time? Approximately none. What does get me still, though, is the foreplay. Foreplay is just... Odd. Oddly described. I know it's p- in part because it's PG-13 thick, but even so... <laughs> How would you put it, Dan? <laughs> it just seems like they're having too easy a time of just working things out perfectly the first go of it. Which is 
you know, not how it works in real life. Story to spoil everyone's illusions, which well, probably you've already got despoiled. I don't know how realistic it actually is, but the point is sort of what an amazing life-changing experience it is for Harry. It's impressionistic. It's not meant to be what's actually happening. It's his mind is going over things at a different pace and until the end bit where he just does the getting his wand out of his gene. Yes, well, he keeps it in the back pocket. Doesn't everybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Medi. <laughs> Only those who don't mind losing one buttock, if I remember rightly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cody says that whole thing felt out of place to her. Do you think uh, it should have been earlier, or? Yeah, the spell thing. The spell thing. I like how yeah. it was worded, though, where he uttered a spell that had never been part of any Hogwarts lesson, but every male student over second year had learned in practice. Yes, but appropriate. That seems very accurate. And then the wand was gone, the, and the weight was the, over. The um, spell known by every male student in Hogwarts does seem very, very. I ensue again, and in this next scene, Cody types in a type of student. Probably geek or something like that, but I can't remember. So take it as you can, figure it out, make a guess. No, not even them. Yeah, because you can't imagine any of them not hearing about it just yeah. by rumor. Maybe some of the really, really, really library geeky type ones. and They'd have read about it. Right. They'd have looked yeah, it up. Yeah, you're probably right. Wouldn't it be the same as, like... It's like carrying a condom since you were in the fifth grade. Yeah, carrying around one in your wallet. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure what... I, I didn't know what I just heard, so I'm just going to really avoid commenting. No comments. But it does... Okay, it does, Dan? Yeah. Dan? Yeah? It's like somebody carrying <laughs> a rubber in their pocket since they were in the fifth grade. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> it is exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> sure it is. It's more like carrying rubber in your pocket since you turned into a teenager. Since you hit puberty, uh, it, which is much more likely. Fifth grade is 11 years old. Yeah, it is. Fifth grade in the United States is 11 years old. Oh, okay. <laughs> R- rather than nine or ten, yeah. Right. Year one, third form or something. I don't know what the translation is there, but... I don't know what it is either. It's 11. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So 12. They said the second year, so they would have been 12. But anyhow, moving right along, we are almost at the end. We're almost at the end. This one was pretty short. It had lots of events covered in it, but not in much detail, Mm -hmm. because otherwise it would have just been smart. Or you could have had that long period of talking about decorating, which is so fun for all of us who are decorators. (laughs) But those of us who aren't interior home designers would have been bored stiff. Yes, so it's a quick one. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And then they go into that conversation you mentioned earlier, Dan, where he's asking if she is still angry with him. Yeah. And she says, yes, but that's not the most that I'm feeling. I feel a whole bunch of other things as well. And he shows solidarity with movie Ron because he can't imagine feeling more than maybe one or two things at once. Yeah. Yeah. That bit annoyed me. Slightly. Just slightly. Just slightly. Because I'm male, and I have more than the emotional range of a teaspoon. I have a tablespoon. You know, it's, it's something. A salad spoon. <laughs> I wouldn't say quite that large, personally, but, you know, if you want to compliment me. <laughs> oh, God. He does sort of disprove himself by mentioning that he's feeling a little bit more than... Yeah, talking about suddenly... I, I can only feel one thing at once. Oh no, currently I'm happy and afraid. Um, two things at once. Oh no, currently I'm happy, afraid, 
and slightly worried about the future. Three things at once. Can we do this over again? You forgot horny in there, too. So. It does feel like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> Just had to get your Python reference in, didn't you? Oh, that's true. <laughs> I feel happy. Oh, wait. I feel happy and afraid. That's two things at once. I can only feel two Uh-oh. things at once. Happy, afraid, and horny. That's three things. Um, can we do this from the top? I'm, I can only feel three things at once. Oh, yeah, what are you feeling? Happy, horny, and afraid. Yeah, there you go. Finally. And we lost Scott. Yeah, hang on a minute. Let's let Scott come back. <laughs> Apparently Monty Python kills Scott. Good to know. Welcome back, Scott. Dan's not allowed to do Monty Python anymore, and we are going to just end this with talking about uh, Harry being afraid, even though we've gone through this several times, because she didn't think that he had ever been afraid. Jenny didn't think she'd ever be, that he'd ever been afraid. He was afraid a lot. <laughs> Never known you to be afraid of anything before, she whispered. Ginny was just not paying attention if she thinks he's never been afraid before, because we know he's been afraid before. Yeah, we can see inside his head, right. though. We know he's been afraid of Voldemort before, repeatedly. But he's betrayed mm. that he's been betrayed, yeah. not betrayed, but shown it at times. So we do know that he's been afraid. We know that other people know he's been afraid. But he moves through the fear. That thing about being a true hero isn't about not having any fear. It's about conquering your fear. So she says to him, never known you to be afraid of anything before, she whispered. Never had anything I couldn't stand to lose, he Aww. thought, holding her tight. He whispered back. First time for everything, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> because, of course, the chapter is called First. That was very sweet. And it was first multiple things. Mm-hmm. And that's it? And that is the end. There are several more in this series, and we'll probably be covering the next one next week, I suppose. So, any last thoughts? I liked it. It was enjoyable. They finally did it. (laughs) Cody says it was sweet, and she liked it. It was a good story. It was fun. I'm not sure I entirely agree with everything it had in, but it was fun. Yeah, it was a nice, just a nice little story about first. I agree. I I like them being at the Shrieking Shack a lot, and painting the room white. All I could think of was white, really? That's really bright. <laughs> yes. And I liked the interaction with Creature. Yeah. So it, it brought a lot of really nice things into it. Yeah. The Ginny, uh, Ginny and Dean. The Luna and Dean, well, Ron. And the details were really pe- well thought out as well. A lot of attention to detail in all of these fix in all of these um, chapters so far. I'm just wondering how that's going to go in future. How much attention to detail is going to keep being in there? that must be hard to keep up. It was nice that they got to have basically happy moments with friends in this one, because some of the other ones have been fairly angsty, but this was a just sort of shining moment yeah. one for them. Yeah, this, this one, un, I think unlike any of the previous chapters, this didn't even have a single moment of real major angst in until that ending bit with I Feel Afraid, which... Is, is a minor moment of angst, whereas the others have all had the whole we have to go over Remus's death again, etc., etc., etc. Come and see us. Uh, come and see us. Come and listen to us again next week. If you enjoyed this one, and you'll probably enjoy the next ones. Then. So with that, Cody in the corner says goodnight. From Peoncast, the next generation. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.
This is Antasha, and I'm really excited that you guys are reading my F-word stories. And it's been really interesting uh, listening to the conversations you guys have had about them. As of uh, right now, uh, the conversations run up through family. So I, I just wanted to sort of give some feedback because you guys raised some interesting points, had some interesting questions. So I thought I'd, you know, try to give you some feedback. Don't have much to say about your discussion of friends. It was really interesting to me. I guess for me, I've always been very fond of the character of Luna. Any of you who have seen my fic, especially the fic that isn't on Phoenix Song, uh, know that, yeah, I like writing her. Uh, which probably doesn't say much good about my own mental health, but uh, I just find her a really interesting character. So I did not intend for it to be a uh, Harry Luna fic. I don't think of it as one. And I didn't think of Luna as being the center of it. In a lot of ways, you know, Harry has a series of experiences at the funeral and talks to Charlie, talks to Andromeda, and then talks to Luna. And when I was writing that last conversation with Luna, it was very much with the end of Order of the Phoenix in mind. And that ability that Luna had to ground Harry really uh, difficult time. And Harry's older, you know, when uh, this story takes place. He's two years older. On the other hand, death is death. And so, I mean, you know, I, that was what I was thinking about with Luna. And it, it, the points that you guys raised were great. With uh, fame, uh, which happens just a few days later, almost, not quite a week later, I guess. I guess it's, it's important because uh, some of the questions that were raised, it was clear to me as I was writing it, and, and perhaps I didn't make it as clear, that this was not a memorial service. Fred's funeral had already happened, but that it was an award ceremony, that they were uh, awarding Orders of Merlin, and that Ron and Hermione had uh, already received theirs, which is why Dr. and Dr. Granger were sitting in the front row and were very pleased because their daughter had just been recognized and was alive as it, I mean you know I think Dan was the one who said that I mean you know uh, when she is your only uh, conduit and she seems to be doing okay then that's a good thing and I always assumed that the uh, that the Grangers knew I mean that at least in some way Hermione had told them uh, what she was going to be doing and that therefore she uh, obliviated them for their own safety with their permission so that she moved the memory charm and their memory came back. I assumed they would be nothing but relieved that she was okay. And so it didn't occur to me that why they would be angry with her. When I wrote this, uh, obviously I read a whole bunch of fics as time went on uh, after where people were exploring a whole other side of that option, but that one hadn't occurred to me. I thought the whole conversation about uh, Harry as a leader was a really interesting one. For me, I really never saw Harry as being a revolutionary thinker. The person whose vision he was following, the vision of the, of the Wizarding World that he was following, was almost entirely Dumbledore's, who was the one who talked about blood status not mattering. And of course that's part of the reason why uh, Harry feels so betrayed by Dumbledore when he finds out the truth in Deathly Hallows. So Harry is certainly a revolutionary in terms of doing the right thing because it needs to be done. And uh, that was what I had McGonagall talking about. 
I also found it really interesting that there, you know, the whole conversation about whether uh, that last image, the the uh, the face that he's singing as he steps into the uh, flu at the end is uh, Ginny or Luna. I, it didn't even occur to me that it would be Luna. Uh, Luna is his friend and, and centers him. And having been a performer, I know that there are times when having a single point of focus out there, especially one that isn't challenging, is a good thing. And so that's why I gave him Luna during his speech. But no, it was definitely Ginny, and I was trying to echo uh, stuff from earlier in the fic and from Deathly Hallows. The next fic, F-Word, is I think my favorite, just because having Ginny unleash herself like that was such fun as a writer. You know, that fic, a lot of it came out of a conversation that I had with a friend, a rhetorician, uh, where he and I were talking about the tendency for fandom in general, thick writers in particular, to either see the path for the main characters between the end of Flaw in the Plan and the epilogue being totally a straight line, which a lot of objected to, right after the end of, uh, you know, after the Flaw, uh, Ron and Hermione immediately start snogging and get married within a week. Uh, Harry and Ginny hook up, they're married. Uh, you know, Hannah and Neville, all of the rest of them get married immediately. And the other tendency is put all of them through just tortures, through many, many years and convoluted possibilities. And what rhetorician, you know, sort of pointed out, he said, well, I don't think it's possible that they would be ready, all of them, to, you know, start snogging and, you know, going to bed and getting married right afterwards. And so I, I was trying to find that middle line and Ginny seemed like the right person to explore it with, where she was neither totally overjoyed and happy, nor totally angry, but a combination. She had a lot of grieving going on, a lot of anger at, at the fact that Harry had, you know, done something that if I were she, I would be really angry with him for. And uh, on the other hand, just relief uh, that it was over and joy that he's there and that he's using the F word, <laughs> which I was very pleased about. <laughs> And that it made you guys think of the Jason Mraz song I thought was wonderful and sweet. And if I didn't have a high school and a middle school child, I would really think that was wonderful because I liked the song. But God, have I heard that one a lot. <laughs> but I'm glad that it, that was what it made you think of. And then Family, uh, the most recent one. You know, I don't think Petunia in, in the fic, I don't think of her as being exactly nice. The thing that I was sort of playing around with there, the whole fic was looking at, you know, Harry and his relationships with people other than Ginny, um, his larger family, and what he's going to do with the rest of his life. And I'm really pleased that you guys had a great time with uh, the opening with uh, my torturing the poor Weasleys. That was a lot of fun. The trip uh, out to Faceark, the island, I just sort of imagined that this was a wizarding uh, island out in the uh, in the Channel Islands. You know, there's lots of little islands. And uh, so what I was imagining is a, a small community of wizarding farms on this island, of which only uh, Siren Farm, the uh, farm that uh, Harry's family had owned, that was the only one that was under the uh, Fidelis charm, so that when Hestia and uh, Dudley went uh, for a training run, I don't know, I, I, if you're going to be on an island for a year, even you know with a, a, some fields around it, I cannot imagine not going bonkers after a while and wanting to go at least for a run around the island. So it didn't seem unreasonable to me either that uh, they had uh, blown their own cover or 
the Death Eaters might look up, knowing that this was an area where there were wizarding families on this little island. And even if they couldn't find any information about the farm itself, knowing that the Potters might have had a connection to this island, you know, that they would go by and check. So that was kind of my thinking. I, you know, I didn't write it in because it seemed like it was convoluted. But there you go. I don't have any idea what position the Dursleys were in. I don't want to know. Uh, I don't want to visualize it. I enjoyed making Harry uncomfortable there. And, I mean, you know, as ways of killing off Vernon, it seemed like, you know, a, a kind one. <laughs> I had him have an aneurysm in the middle of yelling at, at Horace Slughorn when he found out that Horace Slughorn was his own uncle uh, in one story. So that was a meaner way for him to go. Uh, this way, at least, he went happy, as as Petunia says. I don't think of her as being very nice in the fic. When we last see her and Dudley, she really does seem to have turned a kind of a corner. She has something she wants to say to Harry, and she never says it. That's part of why I felt like I needed to bring them back into the fic. And then with Petunia, I tried to think, what would it be like for her to live in a wizarding household for a whole year, half of it without Vernon, who's the blowhard of the group, and then once I had the idea, you know, it's like, what she, what would she like and what wouldn't she like about living in the wizarding community? And I thought, if she had a house elf, that would be her idea of heaven. You know, everything that she could ever want would be that. And that is part of why she's so pleased about the place and so happy. And to be honest, so intent on keeping Harry happy because she really <laughs> likes living in a place where she doesn't have to do a thing and everything is clean to her specifications and all she needs to do if something isn't done to her specifications is ask and it is done instantly and very well she'd love it so that was kind of where i was coming from there i like you know poor bunty nobody to cook for for better self for all those years it's nice for her to have somebody to cook for too you know i actually wrote the the house's partially because I kind of needed them for some of the later stories, but also because, you know, ironically, I actually got a little overdosed on all of the, oh my God, Harry is incredibly rich stories. There's nothing in canon that says that the Potters are actually extremely wealthy. We know that he had a good pile uh, when he started school, but we don't know how much of that has been taken because we haven't seen it since the first book. So a good chunk of that may be gone, covering his expenses at the school, covering the clothes that Molly has bought for him over the years. So, you know, we don't know if he's still fabulously wealthy uh, or not. There's the black money as well, but I'm sure that Grimmauld Place was, a, you know, a wonderful inheritance that it didn't necessarily come with a lot of money that all of those years uh, Sirius was in Azkaban and the house was just sitting there empty. I can't imagine Lucius and Narcissa not raiding the vaults uh, as much as they could. So, uh, you know, it isn't a canon fact that Harry's got a lot of cash. And so I wanted to actually set him up to be in a position where that's a problem. Having all these houses is a problem, and that's something I played around with in the second-to-last fic in the series, Fortune, uh, which happens actually 30 years later. Uh, so about 11 years after the epilogue. So that's about it. I've gone on at much greater length than I intended to go, but I, I really am enjoying the uh, conversations, even when you guys are perplexed by some of what I've written or are not sure what it's about. I find that, you know, helpful and interesting. And uh, I look forward to, to hearing the rest of what you guys have to say. 
Thanks a lot.